Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. It is Saturday morning, 94 WIP. How are you, Mike Sealski? Doing well, Mr. Mack now. How are you? Good. I'm hanging in there. Appreciate it very much. Uh, probably both of us doing better than the Eagles. That is for sure, because it was just a bad, bad week for this team. And I don't want to spend a lot of time reliving, uh, what happened against the Niners. I'm sure you don't either. No, it was, uh, I I had enough reliving, rewatching the game and covering it live and all of that kind of stuff. I'm ready to get to the Cowboys. But it does, it leads to a question, which kind of puts it over into the Cowboys, which is, have they been exposed, uh, both on defense and on offense? And I want to start just a little bit focusing on the offense, and maybe specifically Jalen Hurts. And I want to play two cuts for you and for the audience and get your reaction to them both. The first one is Emmanuel Acho, former Eagle, who is now on a show called Speak. Yeah, it's um, it's very descriptive, the title of that show. And... A lot of what they do barely qualifies, but that's the name of the program. Well, Shady McCoy is also on this show, and this was Emmanuel Acho earlier this week on FS1. The Eagles got exposed in this fashion. The Eagles' offensive play calling it got exposed because it is extraordinarily basic. Nothing is ex- inspiring for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Their two big gains on the first two drives, which were their best two drives, were A.J. Brown winning on slants and pick routes. Those are high school concepts, and that's A.J. Brown just being a grown man. The Eagles got exposed because their linebackers in coverage are not good enough. Exposed so much so that the Eagles had to go sign Darius Leonard less than 24 hours after the game. To me, James, this was a go-get-help game. Mm. This was a we-need-help game. We've seen those games before. It was the Dallas Cowboys. They went 3-4 and four in 2018 after letting go of Des Bryant. Go get help, mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. We have seen go-get-help games before. Last year, the San Francisco 49ers lost to the Atlanta Falcons 28-14. to Falcons had 168 rushing yards. The San Francisco 49ers had 51. Go-get-help. Mm-hmm. We needed Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, but, this, uh, to me, uh, was no, a no, go-get-help no, 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 game. But that's how we... I don't need the long-form version. Uh, stick with the part with the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, agree or disagree? Look, they didn't play well, and to a certain degree, they followed... Emmanuel's recommendations, right? They they had already gone out and gotten Shaq Leonard uh, to get help, so to speak. They were tracking him before they even uh, played the 49ers and ended up signing him and bringing him in. So, um, look, this is Fox Sports. This is the network of Skip Bayless and Craig Carton and just loud, outrageous takes. And yeah. 
you know, the point I made in a column, Glenn, even this morning, is that it's not enough to say, hey, Jalen Hurts has to see the field a little bit better. It has to be, the Eagles' offense is elementary, and A.J. Brown runs nothing but picks routes, and that's all they can do, and et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a little overstated. I like the way you raised your volume for that. Yeah, I Um, I don't care to do that often, but you got to play the part sometimes. My thought is every team has bad losses. Um, You know, the Eagles were exposed. Well, you know, was San Francisco exposed when Cincinnati beat them by two touchdowns at at Levi Stadium where the – were the Cowboys exposed when they lost to 12 to Arizona? The Chiefs last year, the Chiefs lost a game at home last year to the Colts, who finished 4-12-1. These games happen. Um, you you want to go way back. I know this is going too far back for a lot of people, but I remember uh, a year after, or the year that the Niners went 14-2 and, and won the Super Bowl. I know exactly what Young. game you're going to reference. The Eagles went in there and beat them 41-8. to 42-8, yes. 42-8, the... excuse me. No, 4-0-8. Oh, 42-8. Okay, yeah. there you go. I didn't want to give the Eagles an extra point. It was a Charlie <laughs> Garner game. Exactly, yes. Yeah, okay. That's one. Here's another. This is Nick Bosa. Uh, in an interview in the locker room out in San Francisco or Santa Clara, wherever they play this week, talking about the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, you see it on tape, though. Uh, and then, obviously, we put the blueprint out there. Hopefully, the Cowboys watch the tape. Um, we made Jalen stay in the pocket and escape outside instead of those big gaps and uh, paid off. Because uh, Jalen's looking at the rush every play. Um so, yeah, you just have to be disciplined and, and not give him that quick escape route where he could get to his guys quick. Your thoughts again? I think it's a little overstated, again, that Jalen is looking at the rush at every play. Having said that, there were a number of plays in that game, Glenn, where Hertz had plenty of time to get rid of the ball one way or another and seemed a little reluctant to pull the trigger. So... I don't know, I haven't looked at the film closely enough to know whether that's a function of guys being open and him being reluctant to throw them the ball or a matter of Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni having to scheme up an offense that gives him a quicker option. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know that answer. Uh, I do know that there were plays where Hertz had time and did not throw the ball for whatever yeah, reason. A lot. I mean, I did see that a lot. Um before we deep dive into what the Eagles did wrong, and there was a lot they did wrong in that game, and this is—I uh, I, listen—it's not my job to make excuses for them because I, I don't—I don't intend to do that. But the reality is, they—the Eagles had beaten four winning teams in five weeks. The Eagles were playing their third game in 13 days. It was 13 to six at halftime, and maybe they ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is looking at the rush, and quarterbacks are not supposed to look at the rush. They are supposed to look downfield. I felt in this game he was. I, he was off from the very beginning, uh, and that was a problem. They were they they San Francisco seemed to be playing more kind of contained with the rush than mm-hmm. go hard after him, which was a smart defense. Is it a blueprint? I don't know. I mean, it could just be the Eagles played poorly. Uh, he didn't release the ball. He was holding, holding. Uh, and uh, I know we'll get to this later. One way you deal with that to me is you, you do a little bit of a power run, get back to that RPO stuff a little bit to offset it, not just stay in. He's just in shotgun looking downfield every play. Um, and yeah, so- and, and some of that, though, is, and again, we can get into this in the next segment, but some of that is what defenses have done 
from last season to this season to take some of those RPOs away, to crash down and and take those running gaps away, as as Bosa described the 49ers were doing. So, uh, you know, they were content to have him stand back there. He and Johnson and Sirianni have to get on the same page in terms of getting him comfortable letting go of the ball a little more quickly, I think. And, and by the way, good transition. I appreciate that you just went there because it's kind of where I want to go next. By the way, the number is 215 We all agree Jalen just had a bad game. He had a clunker of a game. He, yes. did not, he did not play well. But in a larger picture, how much of, of this is Brian Johnson? Now, they scored 37 points the week before. So, again, I certainly don't want to start ringing alarms. But um, do you sense, I will say with both coordinators, um, a need for them to improve? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I think Sean Desai is a slight upgrade over Jonathan Gannon. I think a fair bit of the problems that the Eagles' defense has encountered this season are matters of personnel. They're just not as healthy. They're not as good at linebacker. Uh, they're not as good along the defensive line. They're not as quite as good as the secondary, and that means James Bradbury and Darius Slay not quite, playing quite as well as they did last season. Now, having said that, there have been moments this season where, and I think the 49ers game was one, where Desai has just gotten outcoached. You know, the, the problem with what the 49ers were doing offensively wasn't just that Debo Samuel was running through tackles. It was that George Kittle didn't have an Eagles defender within 10 yards of him when he catches a screen pass and can Mm -hmm. rumble for 35 yards. It it wasn't just that the Eagles didn't play well defensively. Kyle Shanahan had his way schematically with Desai. Desai. And I think, with respect to both Sean Desai and Brian Johnson, they seem to be feeling their way at times. There was a rhythm last year with Shane Steichen as the play caller where one play set up the next, set up the next, uh, and some of that you can attribute to defenses being unfamiliar with what the Eagles were going to do offensively. You know, they added A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurts takes a step forward, a big step forward, and is a much better quarterback than he had been the previous season. So there is that element of unexpectedness and surprise. But uh, I think Johnson and Desai have struggled a little bit this season, and the, the results are the results. You know, when a player comes in as a rookie, we – give him the opportunity to improve, right? We assume that yes. a guy's not going to be as good as a rookie as he is moving ahead. We never really give that to coaches. No, we don't. We, 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 presume, we presume that a coach steps in knowing exactly how to do his job. Right. Be perfect and get better from there. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really what we want from our coaches. And I'm not – listen, I'm not excusing Brian Johnson or Sean Desai. I thought they both had just terrible, terrible games. Uh, but I also recognize that a little bit. And I also recognize that, just going back to the offense, a lot of what the Eagles did last year and Jalen Hurts did last year was new and was a surprise. And you had kind of said this earlier. There was that element of unfamiliarity last year. And everybody, probably most particularly the 49ers, have been scheming this thing. How am I going to defend this thing? How am I going to play against this team since last year? And it's it's coming back. My bigger thoughts on this Kind of looking at the reaction this week after that clunker of a horrible mm-hmm. game of a disaster, and this relates to Jalen Hurts. He loses one game, and all of a sudden, he's in many eyes not the guy. Yes, he's almost a bum. Um, and that that is disappointing to me 
And I heard it some on this station from some callers, even a little bit from some hosts. And I saw this rising a little bit as a national narrative. And you hear it when, you know, you, you, you hear Bosa say, ah, we figured him out. That's the blueprint. You can beat him. Look at who he's beaten. Look at who they've beaten. A week ago, Jalen Hurts was the MVP favorite. Now he can't read defenses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now there are people calling for him to be benched. Oh, we'll play that one later. If Dak had beaten the teams that Jalen Hurts has beat, they would build a statue for Dak. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and I think we've lost the concept, Glenn, because sports media and media as a whole are, are never-ending. We forget the big picture, and we forget that a player, any player, might have a season where, on the whole, he's not quite as good as he was the season before, depending on whatever circumstances, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be benched or that he's a bum. I mean, you know, not every season Tom Brady had was 50 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Yeah. You know, not every season that Mike Schmidt had for the Phillies was – 45 home runs and a 280 batting average, right? Like, but we get in this thinking where, okay, Jalen had a rough week and therefore he has to be a bum or he has to be benched or uh, the league has figured him out. The Eagles are likely to adjust. They're at least going to try to adjust and we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Yeah, it's, uh, we will certainly get into the, the details of, of that game, which is game five in this six game gauntlet. I said going in four and two, I thought was a reasonable expectation. And then when they won the first few people, oh, they're going to run the table. They're going to run the table. Well, that was, I don't think that was ever realistic. I did not expect them to get their doors blown off at home by San Francisco. I and mean, that was an embarrassingly bad loss in so many ways, but I didn't expect them to win every game. Tomorrow's game, a little nervous about that. Yeah. Uh, I will say, just getting back to Hertz, when they played on November 5th and the, the Eagles beat them, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns, two passing touchdowns in the third quarter. That was the difference. He was efficient, 17 for 23. He he had a terrific game that game. Yeah, and this is one of my frustrations with the situation, as I just described it, Glenn, is that the next thing happens, and we tend to forget everything that came before it. We forget how Jalen Hurts played against the Buffalo Bills. We forget about the fact that, yes, it was the Washington Commanders, but he picked the Commanders apart in Landover on a bad leg, bad knee earlier this season. It was just one week. Was it concerning? Sure. Are they going to be tested and up against it tomorrow night against the Cowboys? Absolutely. But that's the fun of sports is not quite knowing what's going to happen. No, the fun of sports to me is knowing my team's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a consummate Philadelphia. I, I, I prefer that. You had given me an interesting prospect, which is that you think there, there's kind of a national – sense of people are kind of tired of the Eagles and they're overexposed and so on. So yeah, you, yeah I'd rather you talk. About yeah, that. no, I think the Eagles are viewed two completely different ways uh, locally and nationally. I think locally people look at them as the underdogs, right? They're the team with German shepherd masks and they're the team with Jalen Hurts as the quarterback. He was supposed to be the backup and now he's the starter and uh, this kind of lo- lovable, plucky franchise that beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick yeah. and, and all yeah. of that. Uh, that's, uh, that's yes, okay. that's my team. That's not the national perception, I don't think, of the Eagles. Nationally, mm. the Eagles are the team that was smart enough and sharp enough to be able to beat Brady and Belichick with a bold game plan and their backup quarterback. They're the franchise that has gotten to the playoffs four out of five years since then, 
nationally, the Eagles are the big dogs. And so there's not going to be a lot of sympathy when they get their doors blown off, as you said, against the 49ers. And the examinations, whether they're honest or exaggerated, are going to be widespread. Everybody's going to be talking about that because the Eagles are among the elite, the elite teams and franchises in the NFL. Hmm. I'm not used to kind of being in that position. Right, exactly. I, I, I totally understand that and totally get it. But, you know, I have, one of my best friends is a, a longtime fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he told me the other day, he's like, you know, I, I envy the Eagles. The Steelers haven't adjusted over the last couple of years to the realities of the NFL, and the Eagles have. The Eagles are the, are the team at or near the top of the league in terms of being innovative and smart. And it's uncomfortable and, uh, and not familiar for people in Philadelphia to think of the Eagles that way. So we're no longer the plucky underdog? I don't think we are. I don't think the Eagles are. And we're resented. Na- well, resented nationally we're used to, but resented nationally, that, that, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I think it's a different perception based on where you live. Interesting. All right, we're going to go to the calls in one second. One thing we want to do is we've got a giveaway today, which is actually tickets to see yes. me in a play. Yes, this is uh, a great giveaway. Yeah, well, I think it is. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I know you're coming out to the play, which I appreciate. I am going to be in the Players Club, the PCS Theater in Swarthmore. Uh, production of Young Frankenstein starting six days from now. Oh, baby. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, it's a really fun production. It is a really good play. People who've been to that theater know how professional it is, and I, um, I'm enjoying the opportunity to crack some jokes and do some. You have and a juicy and... part. If for anyone who has seen the movie Young Frankenstein, you will know. I don't want to say it. Uh, uh, you can be... say my role. Okay, uh, so fine. Glenn is playing the blind hermit in Young Frankenstein, the role that in the movie is played by the great Gene Hackman. Uh, so this is a great role, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And it should be a, a great production and a great time. Well, I appreciate it. And so that opens. So somebody today is going to win a pair of tickets to see me and a very talented cast of actors, singers, dancers in Mel Brooks' hysterical musical, Young Frankenstein, playing at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore from December 15th. That's next Friday through 30th, pretty much the end of the month. You have your choice. If you win, you have your choice of uh, available tickets for any of 10 performances for ticket information, go to PCSTheater.org, PCSTheater.org. And you came up. I love this. You came up with the hook for today. So, yes. So we will give away the tickets based on the winner of this contest. Uh, we want you to call in, 215-592-9494. And please, don't just call in for the contest. Call in with something to contribute or offer about the Eagles or whatever <laughs> we're talking about. you've been around long enough. I have, yes. <laughs> um, and here's the contest. Here's the question. We want to come up with the best Eagles-Cowboys moment or memory that involves an obscure player, coach, or figure, okay? We don't want Deuce Staley running for 200 yards oh, against the Cowboys. That was a good pickle juice. Right. We don't want Carson Wentz playing great in the at the end of the season in 2019 with a bunch of no-name wide receivers, we don't want Terrell Owens catching three touchdowns on Monday Night Football against the Cowboys. We yeah. want an obscure no, no pl- Reggie and Clyde. Right, exactly. We want yeah. a, an unknown or obscure or kind of weird figure at the center of a big Eagles Cowboys moment. So this is basically remember that guy. Yep, he had that game against Dallas in two thousand and eight. Whatever. Exactly. Ooh, actually, yeah, there's a good one that yeah, year. Yeah. That- 
that that is that is a year I pulled that by accident, but that is one where there are those names. Yeah, and we don't want to. We're not going to offer any of our own. We want the listeners and the callers to to give their their takes, I guess. So the best one uh, wins a pair of tickets to see Young Frankenstein at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore, December fifteenth through thirtieth. Don't know if our first callers have them, but let's go to John in Mania and see what's on his mind. Hey, John. Hey, Glenn. What's up? Happy Hanukkah. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Welcome. Uh, is Terry Gar going to be in there to play with you or what? Uh, <laughs> if, if only he were so lucky, John. If only uh, he were so lucky. I will tell you the young woman playing Inga, can uh, she can do it up pretty well. Yeah. Well, my main question is here. Uh, I was watching something uh, this week. Uh, Bradley Burby said he's uh, intent on shutting down C.J. Lamb. And he mm. gashes us every game. What do you think? I don't think they can really shut him down. I wouldn't count on Roby shutting down C.D. Lamb. I would hope that Darius Slay's knee is feeling better and you put Slay on Lamb and just hope for the best because C.D. is having a tremendous season. Well, I heard uh, I heard uh, Slay's playing, right? Yes, as far as I know, he is playing. Okay, cool, cool. And what do you think about Army-Navy moving a game around? I think it should be in Philadelphia every year. Oh, we all think it should be in Philadelphia every year. Yeah, I, I I agree. I understand why they move it. They give it to Baltimore, but yeah, it should be in Philly, Boston this year. Yeah, John, do you have an obscure Eagle who had a great uh, game or moment in an Eagles Cowboys game? I know we caught you off guard there. Yeah, I can't think of one right now, Glenn. All right, that's okay. Always appreciate the call. Thanks, John. Yeah, uh, last time the Eagles played the Cowboys, C.D. Lamb. Hold on, I had the numbers here. I think he had, had twenty-seven receptions for four thousand yards. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He had 11 catches for 191 yards. See, I wasn't far off. No, you weren't far off. And um, I, th- I mean, I know they moved him around, but I don't, I don't even remember Darius Slay. Excuse me, Slay. Slay. Yes, yes. It's like Cher or Madonna, yeah, or Prince. Yeah, he's getting in a fight now. Well, he's he's know. an active Twitter user. Yeah, I know. Hey, I've been on, I've been on the other side of that, mm-hmm. and he's he. He saves receipts sometimes foolishly, and in this one, I wouldn't pick a fight with Seth Joyner about tackling. That, that I wouldn't was... pick a fight with Seth Joyner about much of anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But saying the Seth Joyner, those guys didn't know how to tackle. Mm-hmm. All right, what's uh, let's get in one more call here. Jay West Philly, what's on your mind today? What's going on, y'all? How y'all feeling hey, today? Hi, Jay. How y'all feeling? Yeah, I think he's gonna be a good statement. Jay, you sound a little here. fuzzy. You gotta get get your hand off the phone or whatever you're doing. All right, my fault. Sorry yeah. about that. Okay. Much better. All right. Yes. Yeah, I think we uh I think we in good shape for this game. We went we lose one game and then everybody wanna say we overrated and this that and the third. I guess uh Lane Johnson could have said he got the blueprint for uh Bosa. Bosa ain't have a sack, right? No, yeah. and that's a good point. Bosa listen, Bosa's speaking for the team, but Lane Johnson did shut him down really well. Yeah, exactly. So he got the blueprint for him. Just block him. He only got two moves. He's not there. You know, if you want to go there. But, Silsky. Yes. I've been waiting to talk to you all week. Yes, sir. Now, now honestly, I didn't read the article. Oh, here we go. So, <laughs> yeah, but what was the point? Are you talking about. What you're, was the you're, gist? Sure. You're talking about, um, to familiarize our listeners, I wrote a column uh, last yeah, week. Yeah, give me my time because I've been waiting all week. That's this. fine. That's fine, Jay. Uh, I wrote a column last week uh, about Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback in which I basically pointed out, and Glenn, you read the the column as well. Sure did. um, That if Brock Purdy, given that he was the last player picked in the 2022 draft, 
And given that he started out as the 49ers' third-string quarterback and only got to play because the two guys ahead of him got hurt, and then has played fairly well since he's been in there and the 49ers are a Super Bowl contender with him at quarterback, that if that story had played out in Philadelphia, he would be a god in Philadelphia. Now, that doesn't mean, Jay, that I was taking any shots at Jalen Hurts. I've written hundreds of dozens of thousands of words uh, praising Jalen. I think a lot of Jalen as a player and as a person. I was just noting that nobody had talked about this storyline the entire week leading into the 49ers-Eagles game. And it seemed a pretty obvious one. The Eagles, as we just said, fancy themselves as underdogs. That's the way they think of themselves. It's the way the town thinks of them. And Brock Purdy strikes me as kind of the ultimate underdog quarterback. The last player picked in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, might take his team to a Super Bowl this season. And I kind of framed the matchup that way. So that's that's what I wrote. And there we go. That's why we can't win nothing in this town, because we're still running behind that fake Rocky. Well, I, I think, path. yeah, I th- I, I'm I think tired of that Rocky syndrome. You know, Jay, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. And some of the pushback I got on the column, uh, and I left this kind of unsaid in the column, but it's something that I think about all the time. And it's kind of the way I describe it, it's kind of baked into my thinking about Philadelphia sports, is that the fact that Brock Purdy is this underdog white guy, like that's part of this too, right? Like people love that around here for better or for worse. And, you know, here we are. And that's what this system is, because it's like every past Jalen thing to represent him on his career. Because that's what Cole words, that's what both of the fans is keeping in the pocket, kind of saying he can't read defenses. Jalen Carr got to live. He, I don't even know if he's reading the color proper right. Jay, I, I got to move in, and, and I, I am, I'm having a tough time hearing you now, but I do think you got your point across, and I appreciate it. And, Mike, I know you you know, you you wanted to address that at some point. Well, only because I got so much pushback about it, Glenn, and only because so much of it was so disingenuous. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't saying anything about, <laughs> you know, Jalen. It was people framed it as if I were trying to diminish Jalen Hurts or taking a shot at him, and it wasn't that at all. It was simply a matter of like, hey, here's this underdog guy who's playing for this other team that uh, is facing the Eagles in a big game, and there we are. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, give us a uh, obscure second tier, non remembered Eagle who had a great moment in an Eagles Cowboy game. Win tickets. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now on ninety four WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now ninety four WIP. We'll get back to the phones in a moment, but we usually open this uh, segment with a stupid football draft uh, bet. Excuse me, that you and I have made. Before we get to that, and mm-hmm. I, it just my God, the defense was scarily awful. Yeah, year. and it didn't get off to a scarily awful start. It no. was actually looking pretty good at the beginning of the game. Well, let's go there. It's the first quarter. It's San Francisco's second drive. In the first drive, they were three and out. The Eagles are now up three to nothing. San Francisco's got the ball second and ten at their own 27-yard line, and here's what happens. Back goes Purdy. He looks, he pumps, he starts to run, and he's brought down. He may lose a yard. Fletcher Cox and Hassan Reddick got him. Yes, they did. They it's did. A half, it's a half a sack, another half a sack for Hassan Reddick, which makes the lead for you now nine and a half to eight in the stupid football bet. Uh, of course, for those who don't know, you have total sacks by Hassan Reddick this year. I have total sacks by. Everybody who attended class at the University of Georgia 
which my my side has pretty much disappeared. Yeah, it has, Glenn. It's interesting. I was looking at the numbers this morning. First of all, uh, you have to tell everybody my reaction to the sack. I I did. You were in the midst of texting me in the press box. <laughs> And I didn't bother with that. Yes, I dashed down to the other end of the press box so I could give you a mock fist pound for. Yeah, you and I sit. I don't know a couple sections apart, but you were you were there before they set the ball for third down. (laughs) I think I was. I left a trail of blue flame through moving through the press box. Um, But what's interesting is that Hassan Reddick has more quarterback hits this season than Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis combined. He has 17, and Carter and Davis only have 12 uh, between them. So I'm getting more opportunities to uh, to pull away in this bet. You are. Um, I am a little bit concerned that Carter has hit a rookie wall. Mm-hmm. He's still, man, he still does occupy a lot of blockers. So I don't want to say that he's, he's not playing well, but he's not quite playing as devastatingly well as he was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jordan Davis has been a little bit up and down. And the guy who's really hurting my side of the bet is Nolan Smith. Yeah. Because I thought as a first-round pick he was going to get opportunity. They're particularly thin right now at pass rush because they cut Derek Barnett. And mm-hmm. I thought, hey, they cut Derek Barnett. Nolan Smith's going to get his chance. I think he played four plays. Yeah, he is not week. seeing a lot of time. And, you know, that's a that's a bit of a concern, I think, Glenn, because that means they're asking a lot of Brandon Graham. And that was not supposed to be the plan this season, right? Everybody loves BG, and BG is, still can be a productive player, but he's not supposed to be out there that much. And uh, if you're counting on him at this stage of his career to be the guy, even he was last season when he had 11 sacks, that's part of the reason I think that the pass rush hasn't been what it, people expected it to be. Yeah, I don't know the full story behind Derek Barnett. I mean, he certainly wasn't a very productive player here, and he wasn't happy, and he was prone to get stupid penalties and all that. But I didn't hear a lot of narrative that he was a bad teammate. And when they released him, um, I know I, I know he had asked for his release, but so what? They right. released him, and it almost seems like they didn't have a plan B. Yeah, yeah. I, I they're, they're not putting Nolan Smith out there. I, I don't know why i don't know if they just feel more comfortable with bg which to a certain degree as i said is understandable but i think they expected a little more out of nolan this season and right now they're not getting it yeah not getting it at all all right let's talk to the people and talk to andy in bucks county andy you're on with mike and glenn good morning you know when i was watching the 49ers eagles game it occurred to me that whenever the 49ers had the ball they seemed to be able to get brock purdy easy pass completions the motion the misdirection it seemed that he always had an easy throw and when i watch the eagles it just doesn't seem like this offense gives jalen hurts easy throws that's my problem and it seems like all year he has been sitting back there uh, without the opportunity to make those kinds of easy throws so that's what i got out of the game as far as um The obscure player, to me, the definitive answer has to be Jesse Smalls, who took out Luis Andeja (laughs) in the bounty ball. I mean, that's that's the definitive answer. But I know Mike Silski just wrote a column about Doug Scoville, and I think he deserves an honorary mention because Doug Scoville, you may remember, saved Buddy Ryan's life when Buddy was choking on a pork chop. That is correct. Before the Cowboys game, and and it it became known as the pork chop bowl. So Doug Skull isn't a player, so he doesn't qualify. But oh, he does me, qualify, he Andy. Andy, you can you can mention 
Doug Scoville if you want. In fact, there's someone I have in mind who is neither a player nor a coach who was involved in a in a interesting and great Eagles Cowboys moment. So Scoville can absolutely be on your list. All right. Well, I I, I just want to say that I read that column and I thought it was great that somebody mentioned Doug Scoville because I think Doug Scoville was was really a great coach if you if you know his history. And I really do think that the loss of Doug Scoville had a real negative impact on Randall Cunningham's development here in Philadelphia. It's a real shame for a variety of reasons that yeah. we lost it so yeah. early. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. And yes, I think you're right. That's kind of the common wisdom, Glenn. You were, I think, around... Oh, I was here. Yeah, you were here working for the Inquirer at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the belief was that the more time Randall Cunningham got with Doug Scoville, who was the team's quarterback coach at the time, the better a quarterback Randall was going to be. And when Scoville dropped out of a heart attack in December of 1989. Randall kind of lost his mentor. He lost his greatest teacher. And even though he had a great season in 1990, he wasn't as great as he might have been. Yeah, Scoville's the, one, the only one who ever really coached him. Yep. So, yes, that was correct. And his memory uh, of the pork chop bowl. That's great. I'd forgotten <laughs> great about one that. Buddy Ryan choking on a pork chop before the game and Doug Scoville doing the Heimlich maneuver. That's oh, actually... man. What a, what, a, what a time to be an Eagles fan and someone oh. covering that team. I got to tell you, they, you know, we all know they would win the division, they would make the playoffs, and then they get knocked out by the the Redskins or the Rams or whoever was up next. They would just never do well in the playoffs. But just it was so much fun, and the storylines were great, and the characters were great, and it was just, it was a very fun time, frustrating in January, but always very fun September through December to be an Eagles fan. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Dominic and Cherry Hill is with us. Hey, Dominic. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, Dom. How are you? Good, good. It's always great listening to you guys. I don't don't think I've ever called your show before, uh, but uh, super excited to to be on with you. I've only been around 30 years, so I'm glad you got to it. (laughs) I've been around five minutes, Dominic, so I appreciate it. No, I know. No, I've always listened, trust me. But, um, but yeah, no, a couple things about the game, and then I'll give you my answer. The one thing I'm worried about is the Eagles linebacker. I'm a little bit – like, I want you to get your guys' thoughts on the Shaq Lawson thing. Like, should we feel a little bit more comfortable about him, like in coverage? Like, where are we at with the linebacker situation? Because, well, like, I, that's I, what I'm worried. Go ahead. About. Yeah, I'll say this, Dominic. Look, they get Shaq Leonard, and I think everybody's kind of wondering what they're going to see from him. And I think people should temper their expectations because the Shaq Leonard, who was a Pro Bowl player and an All Pro for the Colts, is not the guy the Eagles were getting. And he was such an icon in Indianapolis that the fact that the Colts were willing to let him go might tell you what kind of physical condition he's in. The guy's had two back surgeries in the last few years. I think the bigger benefit for the Eagles this week in terms of their linebacking situation is that they're going to get Zach Cunningham back, and that makes a difference. Cunningham has been their best linebacker this season. That should help, and I think whatever you get out of Shaq Leonard is kind of gravy. I will, yeah. I, I'll say this, and I didn't, I didn't watch the Colts play this year, and, and, and Shaq Leonard didn't play much last year. I remember him at his peak, but I can't tell you what he is now. I can just tell you what the scouting reports and the grades are, which is that he remains pretty good in coverage, but not so good on the line of scrimmage. And to me, they need a coverage linebacker, so if he is still pretty good at coverage, that would be helpful. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Uh, but then uh, real quick with the offense, like – I feel like as long as we can establish the run, like I know it's so cliche to hear run the ball and all that, but seriously, like establish the run um, like we've always done in years past. And it's just, it's going to make everybody else comfortable. Hurts included, like they, they, the, the typical blueprint or whatever that Bose is talking about. Like, 
I really think that uh, as long as we run the ball and keep them honest, like that's really what we need to do. We, it disappeared against the against the 49ers. Well, Mike and I had this on the schedule to debate today. I don't know how much we're going to get to it because I know we're going to have a lot of callers. And we have a couple of good guests. By the way, David Akers joining us at 11, which I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that we want to get into this deeply, but I will just say that uh, the guys who are out in front of the Novacare Center this was <laughs> Wednesday, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning with the, mm-hmm. with the sign that said run the ball. I'm with those guys. <laughs> Dominic, I'll, I'll weigh in in a second. I want to get your um, uh, your nominee for obscure Eagles figure in the Cowboys rivalry. Yeah, sure. This was an important moment for me uh, just because I was celebrating like crazy as a younger kid. But 2013, Brandon Boykin intercepted Kyle Orton as Jerry Jones was still celebrating because they forced us to punt and it looked like we were going to lose because they were driving. <laughs> You guys have a good one. That uh, yeah. the okay, what makes that better is the Jerry Jones. Reference. Absolutely. I was I covered that game, Glenn. I remember it well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that Boykin interception clinched the NFC East in uh, Chip Kelly's first season yeah. as head coach. Well, things all looked so good. Yeah, they, they looked great. And then they lost to the Saints the following week, and the rest is history. I would just say this about the, the run before we get back to the callers, Glenn. I think they need to run the ball better. I don't necessarily think they need to run the ball more. And some of this, again, as we mentioned in the first segment, comes down to teams cracking down on hurts and crashing down and stopping those lanes, you know, kind of cutting off those lanes that he once had to run in. Uh, I don't think they need to do it more, though. That's not the NFL nowadays. I know we feel that way in Philadelphia. That's kind of the default reaction to situations like that game against the 49ers. But I don't think running the ball more necessarily helps them. I disagree, and sometime between now and 1 o'clock, I'll tell you why. Okay. We've got to get to a break. And uh, as we said, David Akers at the top of the hour. We'll continue to take your calls. I really, so far, the Obscure Eagles, have, we're off to a pretty good start. We're off to one. a terrific start. Yeah, yeah, I'm keeping track here, and, and we're going well. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. Well, that's our, our great friend Ricky Ricardo. He is it. the man. He's the greatest. I took Spanish for a couple of years in high school, and I get, like, usually about 30% of it. But it's just you don't it's, even have to know what the words are. No, no, I, I'm in the same boat you are. I, I took enough to be able to walk into a Major League Baseball clubhouse and approach uh, a player who speaks only Spanish and be able to say to him, hi, I'd like to talk to you, but I don't speak very much Spanish. Is it okay if we get an interpreter and talk? Oh, that's, but, well, that's good, though. That's that's respect on your part. Yeah, I mean, it, it's helped in situations, you know, over the years. So I'll, I'll take that, but... Ricky takes it to an entirely different level. He's the greatest. Anyway, that was nice job by Dan Wilson bringing up that uh, Brandon Boykin moment off of Kyle Orton. Yeah, Man. 10 years ago. Yeah, but the, the Cowboys, before they found Dak, boy, they had some bad quarterbacks cycle through there. Remember the Drew Henson moment oh, and yeah. the Quincy, Quincy Carter, Carter moment and oh, Vinny yeah. Testaverde at the end of his career. Oh, yeah, and Bledsoe when he had nothing. Ryan Leaf they had in there. Yeah, they did. I mean, that oh, was... Yeah. That was part of the the uh, the benefits that the Eagles enjoyed back in those early two thousands. It wasn't just that they were good and they had Donovan and a really good defense and and Andy 
as a good play caller was that the Cowboys were just god awful a good bit of that time too. And Dave Campo is their coach. You're right. Yeah. It was it was a nice. I miss those days. I like that advantage. <laughs> People say they like the rivalry when both teams are good. I like the rivalry when the Cowboys stink. I'll be honest. Th- that to me is such a Philadelphia thing, Glenn. Uh, you you don't like the drama. You don't want the nervousness. No. You just want your team to yes. win a hundred to nothing every yes. single time. I would be very happy. Thank you. <laughs> Don in Lehigh Valley is with us. Hey, Don, what do you think the Eagles need to do? Okay, fellas, here's what I think. And we flash back, flash back to the Super Bowl. What was the secret sauce in winning that game? Which Super Bowl are you talking about, Don? Well, the Eagles, the Eagles the beating the, 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 the Pats. Okay. It is that they were able to run the ball for about 150, 160 yards, kept the Patriots off balance. Foles had a great day because of it. And the Patriots, on the other hand, had no running game and tried to rely on Brady throwing for over 500 yards. Okay? It almost worked. It almost it worked. <laughs> it almost worked. It almost worked, but it didn't. Uh, and I think we got, we've got the guys and the offensive line to do it, and that will set up some downfield. We have to throw downfield passes to Asante and to uh, 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 Brown. Devontae. Devontae and Brown. Devontae and Brown. Devontae. Devontae. Here's, Devontae. here's what I think we can all agree on, okay? Mike says they need to run better. I agree they need to run better. I think yes. they need to try more, not give up as quickly on it. And I realize they fell behind last week, but nonetheless, still, I think they need to stick with it a little more. But can we all agree a little more swift, a little less gain well? Is that like yes. something that all of us, we can find peace in the valley on that one? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, okay. I, I agree on that. I agree on that. I, I, I will say this, Don. One thing, and this is going to sound kind of snooty, and I don't mean it to. In the modern NFL, coaches and play callers don't think of the run setting up the pass. They think of the exact opposite. And if you look at that game last week, those first two drives where the Eagles moved the ball down the field, they weren't running the ball down the field. They were throwing it down the field. That's where the NFL is nowadays. They have changed the rules to make it easier to throw the ball. Hence, teams like the Eagles that are smart generally are going to throw the ball. Got to have a balance. Yeah, Eagles but, led but, the league in rushing. Didn't the league lead in rushing last year? Uh, they were I, near the top. They did not lead the, the league in rushing. Right. Yeah, right, but, right, right. But you, but you can't just throw, throw, throw. And I agree with you. It's a passing league, not a running league. And I would not want my team to lead the league in rushing. Uh, that That's a formula for, for disaster, really. You're not Wait, going to win. I think they led the league in rushing the year they won the Super Bowl, though. Who did? The Eagles, I believe. I'm I, look I'd have to check that. Let me look. I don't up. think so. I don't okay. think so. Um, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure, but I don't think right. so. I'm speaking out of my rear end, but it could be correct. <laughs> I'll, I'll take hey, a look at that. Hey, hey, Glenn, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> oh, Don, all right. You, all right. Don, all what's, right. Your, um, what's your nominee for the uh, right. contest and the now, tickets? You guys have got to sit down for this one because this goes back all the way to 1967. Oh, my gosh. And it was uh, uh, the start of the Cowboys-Eagles rivalry. Yes. The Cowboys... We're getting really good then, and we're driving to win the division title, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the fourth quarter. They're driving down the field toward the closed end of Franklin Field, where my father and I were sitting, and they throw a pass to Dan Reeves. Mm -hmm. And Dan Reeves looks like he's going to break away for the winning touchdown. And the obscure I'm not going to give your answer, but may I ask a question? Yes. Is your answer also the name of a color? No. Oh, 
Okay. No, no. All right. The, so the obscure eagle, which I'll give you the, his name now, Joe Scarpati. Okay. A defensive back, a little tiny guy, sneaks in and steals the ball, literally steals the ball from Dan Reeves, and then there was a huge ensuing pileup where uh, literally 20 guys were on top of Scarpati, who weighed about 180 pounds, and nobody knew who had the ball. So they clear everybody out, and Scarpati comes out holding the ball in his air, and the crowd goes crazy, and the crowd goes crazy, and the Eagles and the Cowboys are jaunted out between them. And uh, I, I think that was a good stage setter for what has followed over that's the good. past That's That's years. a good one. You know, it Don, that's actually on Joe Scarpati's Wikipedia page. That, that, right? that he stole the ball from Dan Reeves. So I'm sure there are a lot of fans out there who might not be familiar with the Scarpati story, but it is, you know, it's a candidate. Let's put it that that's way. Like the one, that's like the benchmark for an obscure guy doing something obscure. If it's on the Wikipedia page, it means he did nothing yeah. else. That's like, right. Like that's his one play. It's the highlight of his life. Yeah, that's, that's so exactly that's a pretty right. good one. I think we got to keep Don from the Lehigh Valley in mind. In this there context. is another one from that era that I'm just uh, telling you is the guy's name is a color. Yeah, I, I, somebody, a colleague, oh, former colleague. I know exactly who you're talking about. Former colleague, former colleague of ours uh, dropped it on social media, and I saw it, so okay. I know who you're talking about. So my question to you is, did you look at the 2017 stats? Yes, they did not lead the league in rushing. Oh, they, what were they? They were... Uh, Tied for third okay. in yards per attempt, and in total yardage, they were third as well. Third in rushing. Okay. Yeah. Third in rushing. Yeah. Stand corrected, however, makes it important. It does. And and the one other thing I wanted to mention, though, Glenn, that, that Don brought up about the Super Bowl and the balance between running the ball and, and passing the ball, and it gets back to what we were talking about in the first segment. Remember that when the Eagles went into that Super Bowl against the Patriots— they completely revamped and reschemed their offense to accommodate Nick Foles. So quite literally, the Falcons and the Vikings and the Patriots had no film to look at yes. as to what the Eagles were going to do. They couldn't great. prepare to stop them, right? Well, um, and, yes. Go ahead. And, and so that— wh- What that I was going to say is, remember, Foles came in—which uh, was, was the game? Was The, the first one was against Dallas? Or, yeah. And, and, it was, and it was terrible. Yeah, he had one good game against the Giants, and then he played terribly against the Cowboys, right? And, and, and the Raiders, every, right? The and every and the Raiders, the Raiders. That's the one. And everybody in town's going like, "Oh my God, that's you know, we're, we're doomed." And to Doug Peterson's credit, he just tore it all up and said, "Okay, what does this guy do well? Let's do that." Yeah, and again, to get back to what we were talking about, that element of surprise with respect to Jalen Hurts and the offense isn't there this season. Uh, to the degree it was when Foles took over in that postseason. Yeah, that's true. Tim and Glenside is with us. Hey, Tim. Gentlemen, great to talk to you once again. Um, are we starting to see a little bit of the shine of Howie Roseman start to diminish by the fact that yeah. I think we're kind of being exposed by the fact that our linebackers and defensive backfield is, I would say, probably one of the worst that we've seen in years. Well, let me just back up one second. What is their record right now? Well, yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, you, you got me on that one. Okay. But, but I, you, you speaking, would suggest that they are – it's like where the roadrunner runs off the cliff and it takes like a second or two before he falls to the ground. You think that's where they are? If you look at the statistics as far as, you know, giving up the pass 
which is it is in the modern era, it is a passing game. And the fact that my, it was the Maddox pad, but the bottom line is, is that we, the, the two, the two corners in Bradbury and, and, uh, and Slay have definitely are showing their age. And the one thing that I hate to bring up his name because he's a despicable person, but one thing that Joe Banner I thought did very well was, was to get rid of players at a certain age before their skills diminish tremendously. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Well, Let me ask you, um, I just want to ask and, both of you guys a, a either-or question. Mm-hmm. Who was a better general manager in terms of managing salaries and um, putting together a roster ultimately, Joe Banner or Howie Roseman? Oh, gosh, I, I would say it's a toss-up to a great degree. Howie, right. Give Howie the, the slight edge, but you can't mm-hmm. underestimate or understate how innovative Joe was in what he yeah, did. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but you got to choose one or the other. Uh, probably Howie. Yeah. I would choose Howie. Well, you have to. You have to also get longevity, also. Um, yeah, but and I'm not sure how. Super Bowl. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you know, and I hate to. I hate to bring up Joe Banner because, yeah, you know, my right. feelings about him. But, but nonetheless, but, um, yeah, I, and I think it only you know, looking long term. The fact that their philosophy is is to tie money, big money, into um, into defensive linemen, and now we have a big money quarterback. There's some area of the team that I think is going to diminish, and I think the defensive backfield in the future might be that area. And again, what makes that extremely upsetting to me is that you know we face some pretty good quarterbacks. Yeah, season. but they do. They spend and, on cornerbacks. They always have, yeah. and they do. And they, and the, you know, the thing is, I just think your cornerbacks aren't aren't particularly having good years. Uh, but are you going to are you going are you going to be able to spend that much money now that once once Jalen Hurts is contract? No, you're going to you're going to have to draft better defensive backs. You're going to have to yeah. draft better cornerbacks. And Tim, I, before we let you go, um, what's your nominee for the the contest? The tickets? Well, you, you changed my mind. If so I can change my answer. 2000 athletic trainer Rick Burkhalter with the pickle juice. That was that was one of the ones that I had on the list, Glenn. And that's Tim, you are really, definitely in the running. That's really good. Yeah, that was one of the ones that I had uh, at or near at the top of the list. To me, that's going to be really hard to beat, Glenn, uh, because of the nature of the story, the pickle juice game, and the fact that Rick wasn't even a player or a coach on the team. That's a, that's going to be a tough one to beat. That's really good. By the way, coming up next, we got a guy who played in that game, so maybe we'll have him give a little testament to it. David Akers, the great Eagles kicker, is going to join us next. We're going to talk about all nature of Eagles-Cowboys rivalry and what I get his thoughts on Jake Elliott these days. Mm. Uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, hey, is your home in need of new windows and doors, but you've decided to brave through one more cold season before making the plunge? Well, let me tell you, acting now is not only going to keep your family feeling warm all winter long while lowering your high heating bills. It's also going to save you big bucks with the big end-of-the-year sale from the great people at Guida Door and Window. Guida is bringing back the biggest discounts of the year. Receive 40% off each window you buy. Yep, 40% off every professionally installed window. You also receive 40% off any door, including entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And don't worry about touching your holiday money, because Guida will start your project with no money down and allow you to pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. If you need new windows or doors, you need to go Guida right now so that you can take advantage of these huge, 
Savings, all prior sales excluded. Offer expires December 31st. So call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one 877 or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U. What a great moment. That, that was. Does it go was, too far to say that was David Aker's greatest moment affiliated with the Eagles? I know he hit a lot of big kicks for the team over the years, but yeah. that might have topped it. Uh, well, it was certainly one that we all got such a just such a great pleasure out of. And he, and he joins us now, uh, the great David Akers. Played for the Eagles from 1999 to 2010. Holds franchise scoring record with 1,300-plus points. Made six Pro Bowls. By the way, perfect two-for-two two passing in his career. David, yep. thanks, for, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks, guys. What, what a great week to, uh, to be a part of everything with you all. Obviously, uh, it's, it's Cowboys week. Everybody's fired up. And, you know, it's funny. I, I remember the first time I was on Oregon Avenue going to a Lee's Hoagie shop. Uh, one of the guys, when I, was, I think it was 1999, they're like, we don't care if you go – you know, two and fourteen. Just, just make sure you beat Cowboys. I was like, well, I know y'all don't really mean that, but I understand now what the, what the Cowboy Week really means to the Philly fans. So it's, it's, it's fun to to see the team do so well, and then hopefully uh, this will be a great game to watch. When you, I want to take you back to that draft moment. We're going to talk about your career and some of those great highlights, but that one was. So much fun for all of us because, of course, first it came on the heels of the Super Bowl, and then they put the draft in Dallas. When you got the the call, you know, we'd like you to be the guy to to make the second-round pick, which it's always interesting to me that it was a guy named Dallas. But when you got the assignment, what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to have a little fun with these Dallas fans? Well, I think, um, first off, when, when let's just be real. If the Eagles, well, since the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and you have a quote legends pick for the for the second round, but you actually don't have a second pick, second round pick currently. It's kind of one of these things. Well, I may be going up, I may not be going up. So, what would I say? You know, especially after Drew Pearson kind of came in yes, and mm-hmm. you know gave it to the Eagles fans the year before, and our team has done pretty doggone well in, in recent years, and even during our tenure, you know, we were way more competitive than than the Cowboys. That being said, you're sending a kicker down there, right? So, listen, <laughs> I want to make sure that I stand for every Eagles fan that you know, would have the opportunity to say something in Jerry's house. What would they say? And I had to kind of think about that and then tame it down about a thousand percent, right? <laughs> and so that was kind of the, the idea of if they boo me, maybe I'll give them a little, hey, the last time you all did anything, you watched it on VHS, something similar to that. But when the night before I was watching the draft and the Eagles didn't have a pick, they traded their last pick in the first round to the Ravens. The Ravens picked up Lamar Jackson. We go in and have a pick. I think it was going to be in the mid-50s at that point. And then I heard somebody was drafted – it was 19 years of age. And I was like, 19 years ago? Well, they haven't had any success really since then. Let me see the last time they actually won. And at that point, I kind of did some quick math that said most of those draft picks weren't, weren't born at that point. So I was like, all right, if they say something smart, I'll give them a little something back. you know. And it was so loud. Mm. That's why I was screaming like a little idiot up there because <laughs> I couldn't hear myself talk. They had no monitors. But right before we went out on stage, I was standing there with Roger Goodell, and obviously the fans always give him, you know, 
an earful when he walks out on the stage. And I, I was like, hey, what do you think, you know, going out here? He goes, you going to let them have it? And I said, what do you think? He said, take all the time you need. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, that's it, great. It, it was fun. We're, we're talking to the great David Akers here on 94 WIP. And David, I want to take you back to your first year as the full-time kicker for the Eagles, which, of course, was 2000. You had two major moments that season against the Cowboys. It wasn't just that you started the season with the onside kick in the pickle juice game that kind of really kicked off, I think, the Andy Reid era, that things were going to be different for the Eagles and with Philadelphia football. But then later that season, if memory serves me correctly, you hit a game-winning field goal against the Cowboys at Veterans Stadium. You mentioned the Lee's Hoagie House exchange that you had. How soon into your time with the Eagles did you get a sense that, okay, it's great if we beat the Giants, it's great if we beat Washington, but beating the Cowboys is something different, and was it different for you guys in the locker room? Well, I'll say this, and, and, I, and I mean this in, in respect to the Cowboys. During the time that I played there, we had way more challenging games against the Giants. And so if I think about my tenure with the Eagles, I think the toughest games were against like Strahan and and, and Runyon and watching those kind of battles Mm -hmm. kind of take place, Tiki Barber and all that. And the Cowboys weren't as relevant, just to be honest. Right. But the the disdain from the, the fans were always like, get get the Cowboys. And I think it just goes back to all the, you know, it's America's team and all that and, and Philly being a blue collar town and nobody likes us and we don't care type of thing. And like, all right, well, we always have to take care of that game as well. But I think that just kind of, if you embrace yourself as a player to Philly and understand that this town wants you to understand their hate for certain things and you, you you're, you're coming into the circle of trust, if you will. Right. And with that, <laughs> you got to pick up on the same vibes that they are. So, yeah, of course, it kind of, you know, the players feed into that and they realize the rivalry that's there and uh, and definitely feeds on it. And I have nothing but respect for the Cowboys, but let's just say when it came to that week, there was always a little something added in the media and, and from the fans, and and you knew that as a player. And, and you're like, yep, well, that's that's part of the gig, and let's let's take care of it. David, we talked even in the first hour about the pickle juice game and how Rick Borkhalder came up with this idea to whether it was real or just kind of a placebo, make everybody think that, it, you know, it was going to work. Um, but the decision to start the game with an onside kick, I've spoken with Ike Reese about it, who said they had discussed it during the week, but Ike never, ever thought they would do it. Uh, and in fact, when it was said we're going to do it, Ike said to Andy, like, I don't think we should. And Andy said, in, in other words than this, put on your big boy pants um <laughs> when it was relayed to you we're gonna do this how did you feel well first off let's just take it back i had been cut by three different teams over my <laughs> very short tenure right you, you kickers I live make, a hard life david you really do it, it's one of those things that if you can latch on and have some success you you kind of are there for a minute but the the going into that year after basically being Norm Johnson's backup long field goal kicker, kickoff guy played in one full game that year before, I really did not think we were going to do anything to start the the game that way, or even do it in the game. Literally they got rid of Doug Peterson the week before who was my holder. 
and then Coy was coming in to hold, and we hadn't had really any success together. So it was I was more worried about that. And then we were about to go out to the game to walk down to the tunnel, and they said, hey, we're going to do a surprise onside kick. I went, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I, um, I, I sent somebody, you know, posted it this week on Twitter and I, I reposted it and I sent it to John Harbaugh. And I was like, can you, can you believe this? And I can't believe y'all didn't tell me that you were thinking about really doing this to start the game, start the season. Right. And he goes, well, some things are just better left unsaid. And we still joke about that, but, um, yeah, I think that one thing that Andy has shown over his career is that he'll take chances, and uh, he took a chance on me, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have played in the greatest sports town for 12 years. Uh, some incredible coaches and teammates during that time, and that's one of the, the memories that kind of kicked off my career, if you will, and I'm glad it worked out, and I'm glad I, I kind of – found a way to uh, make that kick a little bit more uh, disguised over my, my tenure. So we were able to hit that one later on against the Giants to help us with that big comeback where yep. Deshaun took it to the house. So that, you know, all that type of, all those memories, um, you know, the NFL means to a lot of people not for long. And it, as fun as it was to be able to play in Philly, it, it's those memories that last, the teammates, the locker room, the great camaraderie we had with, um, with, with, the, with the guys in that locker room, but it's all back because of what it is like to play in Philly for those amazing fans. Again, we're talking to the great David Akers, uh, former Eagles kicker on here on 94 WIP. And David, I want to follow, we're going to get to tomorrow's matchup, and, and I know we want to talk to you about Jake Elliott a little bit. Uh, but I want to follow up on something you said. One of the things that fascinates me about kickers and always has is that you guys spend so much time, I would think, thinking about your job. And that makes it, to me, to an outsider, so difficult. I would lose myself in nervousness thinking about if I don't make this kick or if I don't pull off this onside kick the right way, I might be cut or it might cost my team a victory. Do you think that Andy and John Harbaugh didn't tell you about the onside kick to prevent you from dwelling on it too much? Oh, I, I think you definitely didn't want people to uh, to overthink for sure. And, and yes, I, I know for a fact that's why they said this young guy, we're not going to we're not going to let him stew on this all week and, and let him know that this is what we're, we're possibly going to do. Absolutely. Uh, to to, to kind of go with what you're saying is you always know that pressure's there. That's kind of one of the things that you, you know, sign up for. Matter of fact, if I coach a kicker or mentor or, or kind of do some sort of consulting. The one thing I ask guys, because sometimes guys go through funks and we, it, it's kind of like the next generation's always bigger, better, faster, stronger to a certain degree. And so when you're talking to these guys, but yet the mental aspect is still kind of developing. I, I asked the question, do you want to be the guy that says, I hope my team stalls so that I can kick the game winner or that they can't score in the shoulders um, you know, my shoulders are being utilized to carry them through to the end. If you are not that guy mentally, you're, you need to go ahead and find another position now. But I think that kind of came back from even me playing in soccer where, you know, I wanted to be the goalkeeper to stop the shot, but then I would actually go down and kick penalty kicks as well. So to me, I think it was kind of like, I want that responsibility. And yes, you understand the, the aspects that go into 
the ramifications if you miss. And, you know, for the most part, did pretty well with that. There are obviously games we'd like to all have back. Uh, you know, but we're talking about, you know, you're, you're bringing up talking about Jake Elliott. I mean, Jake Elliott's an elite kicker. I mean, hands down, the Eagles have found themselves a person that in, in the clutch is absolutely there. Uh, and the irony is he didn't really start off that great and missed a couple of kicks. And then it came to, you know, kind of dropping the cojones and hitting that 61 yarder against the giants mm-hmm. and a legend was born and he has just been riding high and, and just, you know, showing up each and every, every game for, for the multiple years now for the Eagles. And I love watching, uh, he has a, the mentality for Philly, um, fits right in and just one of those guys that when he gets out there is cool, calm, collected, drills it. The, the, uh, the team has the utmost confidence in him. And uh, I just love love watching the kid play. And like you, a very good athlete. In addition to being a kicker, because you were the you were karate man, as I remember. Um, <laughs> like like you, he's he's like the shortstop on the team softball on the you know the Eagles softball team, and he's he's like a scratch golfer and all those things. Um, you hit some of those, and I remember you hit when you were in San Francisco. You hit a sixty three yarder. I think it was at the end of the first half, not at the end of the game, but still. The the if you can describe the pressure that's on a kicker because he's all, all alone, uh, like Elliot hit the fifty eight yarder to take the Bills game into overtime a couple of weeks ago. What does a kicker have to do with his mind at that moment? Well, I think the understanding of what his job is he's he's kind of a relief pitcher, if you will, right? You, you may be called upon a few times in the game. You, you know, you may have a few pitches here. One one strikeout is all you need. And that's kind of where, where you you never know how the game is going to go, but you never know if it's the first extra point that you make and you win 7-6 or if it's the last second kick. Obviously, that kick, a lot of people in the conditions of the game, they, they weren't thinking, ah, oh, this is an automatic. But, you know, Jake went out, he, he knew what he needed to do, and, and he hit it. And I'll say this, you know, one thing that has helped kickers – and, and this is in a very positive way by the league to allow and when they allowed us to start kind of working in footballs late in my career, mm. early on in the year in like 1999, they came up with a K ball and they were basically straight out of the box. You really couldn't do anything to it. But later on, they started allowing, they moved the, the, the kickoffs from the 30, 35. They, they had us allowed to, to work in the balls a little bit more uh, and, and that allows you to hit a further kick. So now you're seeing way further punts. You're, the kickoffs are going real deep. And the latter part of my career, I was able to to kind of get that, and, and, and it helps. But what I think that does is it provides so many more scoring opportunities for the NFL now, and you're seeing these kickers say, okay, now I've got a chance to really go and show up and show out with these long field goals. And it just shows you – Look, there there are a lot of us that could get the ball there from those distances, but getting it there under the pressure of the game and being able to get it between the posts, that's where you show up to be elite. And that's where you see the elite players like Jake Elliott show up each and every week. It's one thing to get a ball there. It's another thing to get it there in between the posts and in the 
uh, part of the game where it is so uh, important and makes a difference for the team. And again, that's the reason you pay a guy like Jake. That's why you have a, a Justin Tucker on your team because when that it, when it's time, they're showing up and showing out. David, we'd be remiss if we let you go without asking you uh, what you think about tomorrow's Eagles-Cowboys game. Don't know if you've been following these teams closely, but kind of what's your take on what's going to go down at AT&T Stadium tomorrow night? Well, first off, I, I bleed green, right? So, yes, I definitely follow the birds and, and support them all the way. And great group of guys that they have out there. They work their tail off and obviously going to support them no matter what. I will say this. The Cowboys have played very well this season, and it was a very close game the last time they played. Um, Dak has been playing very well this year, and I know that that's been kind of the – uh, the Achilles heel, if you will, for them a little bit where it seemed like things would go well. And then all of a sudden, you know, Dak, maybe throw a couple picks here and there and they'd slip away and then they, they'd be out of the playoffs. But I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, the, the way that things went down last week was, was a tough one. The bills game was tough Kansas city. So this stretch along is, is, has not been easy to say the least. I do think the birds come back. They bounce back from this. Um, Hopefully we'll see a little bit more of the offensive side, be able to you know get the ball down the field and not so many punts. And then with that, you know, making sure that the defense stands up a little bit stronger this week on, on the um, aggressiveness with allowing the, the yards after catch, you know, last, last week there was a lot of running down the field and I know that they've played well most of the season and you're bound to have a down game here or there. So you know, you, you let go of that one, you move on to the next one, and, and I'm sure they're focused and ready to go. All right, my last question for you is, do you miss kickoff returns? As oh, part my of gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I miss the fact that, you know, you really can't – we're talking about the surprise onside kick. It's almost impossible to right. do them yep. anymore. They've yeah. taken that opportunity to steal possession out. I, I don't really think that if you let them run from five yards versus one yard – it really wouldn't change much. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm just kind of throwing things out of here, but it gives you an opportunity to steal, you know, a possession there. And yeah. I, I hate that fact. Yeah. And I love going down. And if I didn't you know, back then, if you had 12 to 15 touchbacks in a year, kicking from the 30, that was a great year for you. And then when they started allowing us to get the balls kind of broken in, then you started seeing some 17, 18, 19, and guys would line up, you know, and if you kicked it over their head, they may go three or four yards deep in the end zone. But now you rarely see a ball returned, even if it's, you know, two or three yards deep. And sometimes they're fair catching it in the field of play. Yeah, Eagles did that but last week, which drives me crazy. But it does yes. me too. Like, let's let's go get this. But, again, if they're starting to hit four, 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 three something hang times and you get down the field – then yeah, we'll take the ball to 25. That's another incentive that they gave, you know, the teams just to say, all right, please fair catch the ball or, or take a knee because you're, you're gaining the ball five yards when they moved, used to be at the 20. Right. Yep. But I love watching special teams. I think there's so many great guys schemes that could work. Uh, whether you're talking with, with punt, punt protection, as far as uh, what you have to do against the, the rush the returns that we're seeing, uh, you know, it's fun watching Kobe. You know, he, I think he's doing an incredible job returning. I think the birds are doing a great job helping him out. But, man, kickoff returns were exciting. Were. Again, you just don't see it. 
And you'd always get three or four minimum a year where you would uh, David Akers saves the day. So those were always I can't say they were <laughs> fun because they that usually meant some... they were past the fifty yard line, but it was fun to see you do it. Yeah, well I I I I like to go down there if those guys you know were able to uh not able to get it done at that point. That was that was fun. And one of the things that we used to do and it was it was fun to do where I could read returns if they were running a counter, usually there would be a short set and a guy would cross my face and I'd go chase after that guy, and jack him in the back, which is legal to do and <laughs> try to mess up the, the return. And again, that just kind of comes from being able to watch all those returns kind of playing out before you and seeing what they were running to do. But as you said, yeah, it's, it's just a different game right now. And I understand player safety and all that, but I sure. feel like it has taken some of the, great aspects of the game where you can see some of the, the true speed players d- do their amazing things from the Michael Bates and Devin Hester's of the world. Um, in, and obviously like Brian Mitchell, the great Eagle player. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate that. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. David, that's why the Eagles sent you to Dallas was that they, they wanted to send a player who'd be able to handle himself. If the Cowboy fans got, you know, too unruly and a little physical and you never had an issue with that. <laughs> David Akers, it is so. a, it's a pleasure to catch up with you, man. We always uh, loved you, always loved talking to you. So thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Have a great Christmas. You all as well. Thanks for having me. Go, Birds. Uh, thanks, there David. You go. There you go, man. Still lives that rivalry. He Love does. He yep. absolutely lives it. And uh, he was, you know, he was always really good to talk to in that locker room. Kickers yes. tend to be. Uh, and David was, uh, was at or near the top of that list. And there were times, however, where he would get a little angry after missing a big kick, and you kind of knew to stay away and give him some space um, because, uh, you know, that's a tough job they have. Let's get Mark and Medford before the break. Mark, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Good morning. Hey, great show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I felt compelled to offer some defense of Joe Scarpetti. He's a business owner over here in Medford. Nobody's nobody's ripping Joe Scarpetti. It's just it's a it's a deep (laughs) he's a deep cut, and I'm sure he knows it. But he's, uh, he had 24 career interceptions with the Eagles, and he was uh, a top-flight safety. Um, and uh, the other, his other uh, moment of fame was he was the holder for uh, Tom, Tom Dempsey. Dempsey that's right. That is correct. Oh, well, that's something so, to be said for that. So, All right, that, what else that you got game, today? That game he mentioned was in 1966, and it was one of the weirdest games the Eagles Mark, we've got to move on from that game. I'm I'm scarpattied out for the day. Well, what I'm going to say is I was going to nominate Aaron Martin, who ran a punt back to win that game. Oh, there you go. All right. That's a good one. I got it. The Eagles had three return TDs that day, and they had less than 100 yards off that. Uh, Timmy Brown, I'm guessing, is one of them. Yes, he had two kickoff returns that set an NFL record at the time. Which which leads, and thanks for the call, which leads up to the story about the next time they faced him, the Cowboys broke Timmy Brown's jaw. Leroy Jordan. There you go. A villain forevermore. Is Ray here today? (laughs) I'm in jeans. I'm not wearing khakis. Just like Ray is. (laughs) All right. We uh, a great interview with David Akers. Really Terrific. enjoy that. Just always, always a fun guy to talk to. Uh, and we have cleared out the lines. Uh, we're going to introduce some other subjects, but <clears throat> excuse me. Certainly want to hear your thoughts on everything we've been talking about. The big issue being whether last week's game was an aberration, a bump in the road. The Eagles were tired. It's times you're just going to lose. As they say in Goodfellas, everybody's got to get beaten, take a beating every once in a while. <laughs> 
Or was something revealed that we got? It was an arbinger of doom. Right. Which one was it? Uh, And I got to clear my throat. Would you talk for a second? Yeah, sure. No, we're going to do that. We've got at noon, we've got a really cool guest coming up. uh, Matt Mosley, who's been a longtime columnist and talk show host in the Dallas area for for years and years, covered the Cowboys forever. Nobody knows them better. He's going to join us at noon. Uh, We're going to continue with your calls at 215-592-9494. You okay, partner? I'm good. Yeah. And um, one of the things we are looking for today to uh, work on this rivalry is the best moment in an Eagles-Cowboy game by a fairly obscure member of the Eagles in any department. Uh, maybe Big Dom tomorrow. Or no, oh, he's suspended. He can't be on the sideline. He cannot be part of this. Saw that. Yeah. Yes. Big Dom gets his one-game suspension. Ah, he's got but, to serve his time. But he emerges as a folk hero. Oh, absolutely. Hashtag so, free Dom. Yeah, forever. For those who didn't know him, they know him now. Uh, and whoever gives us the best wins a pair of tickets to see <clears throat> my play, which is Young Frankenstein coming up at the Players Club of Swarthmore, PCS Theater, uh, December 15th through 30th, 10 performances. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very funny show. I'm delighted to be in it. For tickets, go to pcstheater.org. 215-592-9494. Mike and Glenn on 94WIP. All right. What we're watching, sponsored by Guy to Door and Window. Take advantage of Guy's big year-end sale. Receive 40% off all windows and doors until December 31st. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit com. You found a documentary, a music documentary you really liked. I week. did. It came out a couple of years ago, actually, and I don't know why I thought to try to watch it now, uh, but I'm glad I did. Uh, it came out in 2021, and it is about a music artist I'm sure familiar to a fair number of our listeners, Tom Petty. One of my favorites. Yeah, the name of the documentary is Somewhere You Feel Free, and... That is a lyric from one of his best-known songs on what might be his best album of all time, Wildflowers. Flowers, yeah. And good. the documentary gets into the making of the album Wildflowers, which, honestly, Glenn, for me, was kind of a, a seminal album to me when I was a kid. I remember I was a sophomore in college when it came out. The very first CD I had ever owned was Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. I had had cassettes before that, but as a CD, that was the first one I ever bought. And Wildflowers came out, and it's just a tremendous album. Uh, and the documentary takes you through through footage from that time of Petty making the album, why he wanted to make it the way that he did. He had worked with Jeff Lynne from ELO on Full Moon yeah. Fever, but he wanted to break out of that. Uh, and he worked with a new producer named Rick Rubin and wanted to go in some different oh, directions. Rick Rubin. We know Rick Rubin. Legendary, yes. Yeah. And... It shows you writing these songs. It shows you the stage at his life that he's at and why he's writing those songs. You know, for instance, there's a great track on the album called To Find a Friend, and it's kind of a uh, foreshadowing his divorce from his wife. Uh, It gives you an insight into what he was going through at the time and why he wrote the songs the way that he did and arranged them the way that they did. It's just absolutely terrific. It's 90 minutes. If you have heard of Tom Petty, let alone if you're a big Tom Petty fan, you should absolutely watch Somewhere You Feel Free. It is streaming on Amazon right now. Well, I am a big Tom Petty fan, so I will look for that. I didn't really have the chance to watch my – I'm deep in play rehearsal, so I didn't get to watch much this week. Um, although I did start Fargo season 
what are we on? Four, four or five, right? Yeah, maybe, whatever. Uh, and so I think by next week, if I can watch a few more episodes of that, I will uh, give you a review of that. So far, so good. But the other thing that deserves mention this week is Norman Lear mm. died on Tuesday at the grand age of 101. Yeah. Um, I mean, an amazing influence on television. He dominated TV in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, just hit after hit. And creative um, stuff that just expounded, exp- expounded, expanded um, what TV was, took risks, mm-hmm. uh, made statements. And, I mean, just some of his show, All in the Family, which changed TV. It was a sitcom about a, a bigoted reactionary blue-collar worker named Archie Bunker who was always getting into his arguments with his, his liberal son-in-law, Meathead. Yep. Uh, Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton and Rob Reiner. Um, Alan Sepinwall, who's a, a critic for Rolling Stone, who I know you read and I, I read too, mm-hmm. wrote, it's not hard to draw a line between Archie Bunker and Tony Soprano as problematic lead characters whom audiences couldn't help but be fascinated by as a comedy, as a character study, at times as pure drama, All in the Family was, is, and always will be one of the best things ever made for American television. By the way, still on. Yes. And, and, and whatever. Which, in its own way, is remarkable, Glenn, because if you watch some of the episodes, you say to yourself, within five or six seconds, there's no way this show could be made today. Yes, correct. No correct. way. Yeah, they did stuff back then that they can't do now. That's yes. right. And and. And but he broke all those walls. All in the family, the Jeffersons, which was an offshoot of that, which was great. By the way, one of the greatest theme songs. The ever. greatest theme song, I would argue, of all time. <laughs> Fish don't fry in the kitchen. Beans don't burn on the grill. Uh, Maud, which was a great show. One day at a time. Good times. Fernwood tonight. I mean, he just hit after hit after hit, and just really, you know, dramatic. Not no well, comedy too, but. Just stuff that really changed the nature of TV. So uh, uh, a a tip of the cap and a salute to the late, great Norman Lear, who made it to 101. Pretty so, good life. Pretty, pretty good, good run. Yep. James in Old City is with us. Hey, James. Hey, fellas. How's it going? Good, We're James. Great. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, as far as the Eagles are concerned, uh, I guess a guy called earlier, Jay, I guess, from West Philly. I kind of agree with him, Mike, mm-hmm. as far as the whole underdog thing. Mm-hmm. I know. I think the you know 2017 with Foles that was kind of a I won't say an aberration, but the Knights is kind of a unique situation. Sure. I don't think they're that team anymore. Like I don't think they've been that team for a long time, and I do think most people are okay with that. I don't think that you know, you know. I don't know. It's a, I guess you have certain again. Like there's certain seasons where that's kind of like you know the 20. Uh, you, you mean the, the underdog, the perception yeah, of being an underdog? Like, I don't. Yeah, I just think like. I think everyone's ready. When you have a great team like we do and a great quarterback like we have in Hurts, I don't think that, like even last week when the line was three and a half, which made sense. I mean, that was a circumstantial loss last week. I'm like, I'm just done with that. Mm-hmm. That was really tough. I mean, these guys are human beings. You look at what they went through for those four or five week stretch. I mean, it was just rough. It was a perfect storm, basically. But even last week when the line was three and a half and everyone's like, oh, get the underdog mask down. I said, just over it. You know, like we're not that, te- we're too good, in other words. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Maybe if Mariota was, God forbid, Hurts got hurt. That's a different right. story. Right, right. No, and I think you're 100% right about that, James. And I, I think that that is the dominant perception of the team, certainly nationally. And Glenn yeah. and I have talked about this uh, on previous shows that I think it's changing locally to a, gr- to a certain degree, too. I don't think it's the the... The metamorphosis is complete, so to speak, but I do think right. fewer and fewer people 
look at Philadelphia franchises as underdogs in the way that they used to. No, I mean, it gets to a point you're just too good. You can't. Right. You know yeah, I mean? that's exactly right. It doesn't work anymore. But I do have a um, uh, an obscure player that made a huge play in Eagles-Cowboys history. He ignited this play. He, actually, this is one of the most memorable, not Eagles-Cowboys, but I would say one of the most memorable plays in Eagles history. Okay. Ooh, and this guy. All right, James Willis. There you go. That was on my list, too. Oh, man. That was the greatest. That was unbelievable. Yep, and I remember they were up by three because Dallas was in uh, field goal range. Yep. So they could have tied the game. For some reason, Aikman threw the ball in the end zone. So when James Willis picked that ball up, the game's pretty much over anyway. And then the return was like the icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, Dallas is doing it driving like, for a touchdown. Hold on. Right. Yeah. They could have won, but I'm saying they could have. He could have just thrown that away and tied the game with a field goal. Yeah. Like could you imagine? Run. Imagine that happening today, where yeah. a quarterback throws an interception in the end zone to basically. I think Willis was a starter for the Eagles at the time, but as you said, yeah, James, kind of a no-name linebacker. This happens in 1996. Yeah, and that was the peak he, of Ray Rhodes, really his time. Exactly. Do you remember who the starting quarterback for the Eagles was in that game? Uh, Ty Detmer. Ty Detmer, very good. And they lost to the 49ers in the playoffs that year. Yes, they did. In oh, the yeah, rain. But, score. yeah, that was the peak. James Willis, that's my pick. <clears throat> very, good very good candidate, James. Thanks so much for the call. <clears throat> and, of course, he laddles it to Troy Vincent, who runs it, what, 103 yards? Was that? You, you mean Troy Vincent, the guy who banned Big Dom from the sideline for the game <laughs> tomorrow night? Do oh, you now know, Troy's an enemy of the people? Uh, oh. Troy, Troy is on. <laughs> Dan, you, you can grata. back me up on this, correct? Troy is on Howard Eskin's NFL list for banning Dom from the sideline for tomorrow night's game. Yeah, Howard's going to stare him down, all five, four of them. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Troy will be really intimidated by He'll be that. shaking in his boots. <laughs> uh, Troy Vincent, who lined up across from you know Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice, uh, will be stared down by Howard Eskin. Howard Eskin is a lot of things. Uh, intimidating, I don't think, is one of them. But that, you know, I don't even think Howard would disagree with that. No. 215-592-9490 for having a fun show. Uh, obviously talking about, you know, whether we believe the Eagles can uh, recover tomorrow against Dallas and how that game looks. But reliving some of the history with obscure players or coaches or sideline figures or whomever you want who contributed to this lore for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the best one was a pair of tickets to see me in Young Frankenstein at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore. For tickets, go to pcstheater.org. Um, we'll be right back. Oh, you know what? I got to read here, don't I? I think you do. I do. Hey, I had a chance to catch up with the great people from Meridian Bank this week, along with one of their business banking customers. And over the years, I have met several business owners they work with. Every time, I honestly am blown away with how highly these people speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. Look, I know the team of people at Meridian. It is not a surprise that they're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs because Meridian itself is entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed. Just go to meridianbanker.com. 94 WIP, Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. On a nice Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley day before the Eagles play the Cowboys, and we are joined by our doctor from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. Mark Pollard. How are you today, Doc? I'm very well, thanks. Hope you guys are good. We're good, Dr. Mark. Thank you. So we understand that you, you know, spent four years in medical school and did a residency after that and maybe a fellowship and spent a lot of years becoming a specialist in orthopedics, but we got to ask you a question about appendix. Okay. Um, which I'm guessing first year medical school, they probably covered that for a day or two. 
Um, uh. <laughs> okay, maybe not. So maybe we might as well ask that. me, I guess. <laughs> I guess you don't get that until you do the residency and internal surgery. But but here we are. Um, Mike McCarthy, who is the Cowboys head coach, got his appendix out on Wednesday. He is planning to coach tomorrow. <clears throat> I had my appendix out, but to be honest with you, it was a half a century ago. Uh, I guess, yeah, just about. Can you get surgery, like real surgery like that, and four days later be standing on an NFL sideline? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's possible. Um, broadly speaking, you know, having your appendix out is you know, taking out a little uh, uh, finger that finger-like thing that sticks out from the colon. And traditionally, that was an open surgery where you know they made an incision that was about six or eight inches long, and you go in and, and take it out. And you know the recovery from that is you know significant just because you're um, you know cutting into the uh, abdominal wall and the muscles and everything. That, like that. was that was me. Yes, and that, and that takes a while. But you know, within the last twenty years or so. Um, uh, We've really made a lot of advances in surgery with the minimally invasive stuff. And uh, in abdominal surgery, it's called laparoscopic surgery, where uh, essentially they're able to put a little camera into the uh, abdomen and then with several other small incisions to get access to put uh, you know, narrow, long tools, they're able to uh, remove the uh, appendix through maybe three to six smaller incisions. So now you haven't really you know, made a large incision in the muscle wall. And so the recovery from that is, as expected, is uh, much more rapid. Okay. <laughs> Still, okay, so, yeah, I mean, so this is one question that I don't know the answer to because they haven't said whether he, nor- he normally coaches on the sideline. Um, sometimes head coaches are down on the sideline, but he yes. also calls the offensive plays. Sometimes those guys will coach from upstairs in the booth. If you were recommending, should is is he in any jeopardy actually standing on the sidelines where a play could run out of bounds and a 300-pound guy could hit him on the appendix or lack of appendix with his helmet? Or a security guy might have to you know push him out of the way or something. He'd have to bring his own big dom to protect him, I yes. guess. Um, but you know, certainly the risk isn't zero. You know, anybody standing on a sideline you know, assuming you know, some risk. We've all seen, you know, plays where people have gotten hit out of bounds sure. and had leg injuries and things like that. Um, you know, it's difficult to quantify what the risk is. Um, you know, assuming assuming that, you know, everything was like a routine surgery, uh, everything went really well, the risk is probably in reality fairly small being on the yeah. sideline. Um, you know, obviously, he, he may well have some pain. You know, it's common to have some irritation on the inside of the stomach or inside of the abdomen. Uh, if, you know, work's done there, they inflate it with gas to be able to, you know, uh, create mm-hmm. some room. And so oftentimes some of that is left in there and the body has to reabsorb it. And that can be a little irritant as well. So, so you're saying you know, his bigger problem <clears throat> may be gas. <laughs> I guess that's an, indirectly, yes. So you don't want to be the people around him. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a Mike McCarthy metaphor here that I yeah. am not going to try He's to. He's always been a gas bag, and now he Yeah, there you is. go. Uh, oh listen, Doc, as long as there are no serious injuries on the Eagles, we will continue to pepper you with these inane, inane yeah. little things. Questions, so yeah. We appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Next week, we'll ask him if, uh, you know, about 
Nick Sirianni when Nick gets the sniffles or something like that. Do you get you still have your appendix? Or you get your appendix out? No, I, I have mine. I have I my appendix mine. and my tonsils. I don't have my wisdom teeth. All right, so I'm going to tell. Remember I, when when you started on this? I said one of the things about doing radio is you sometimes you have to open yourself up. In oh the, yeah. Okay. Yes. So, yes. Here and the people who have graffitied my house will hear yeah. from me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, here comes that story. Uh, July 4th. I was 13 years old. It was July 4th. I woke up and and my it was just killing me and. We, you know, my parents didn't immediately know what it was. Is it got a stomachache? What is it? And and it, I ended up in the ER within a couple hours. Don't go to the hospital on July 4th because most people aren't working, but they found a surgeon and they take me in. And I'm 13 years old at the time. And uh, do you really a, want to be operated on by the surgeon who's working on July 4th? Well, you know, it wasn't going to last till July 5th. <laughs> when it's a panic, you got to take those out because. If it explodes inside you, then you got bigger problems. So uh, this is this is the uh, this is the part that uh, well, I'll say it anyway. I don't care. Okay. Uh, I was a late bloomer. I ah. was I was the the kid who did not hit puberty till about fifteen. Mm-hmm. So what I will always remember is they they're prepping me for surgery, and the guy comes in who's the prep guy. And he says, looks at me, and goes, "Oh, good. I may not have to shave." Oh and I, man! And I and it was like. I was so oh. embarrassed because it's like, I know I'm he, the last one. He there, didn't need but... to use, the, the surgeon didn't need to use anesthesia because you passed out from the embarrassment. Yeah, just like, why did you have to say that? Oh. So anyway, that, that, all, so here's the thing. All these years later, that's what I remember. Well, you know, you survived and everything turned out okay, and now you are the picture of virile masculinity. <laughs> that's exactly so it's all evens out in the I've end. I fathered Glenn. son. <laughs> Um, I've sired two males. Fine, strapping lads. Um, the other part of that was afterwards. So I was in the hospital for a couple of days because back then, as he said, they would cut you. I still have the scar. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got out, and you like, you could, I could hang around, but I couldn't like play tackle football. But I could hang around with my friends, and they soon discovered that if I, if they made me laugh, it hurt. So, of course, for the next two days, all they tried to do was make Yeah, nothing, nothing like a 13-, 14-year-old boys who right. find out that they can't make their right. friend laugh. Yeah, blowing soda out their nose. So that I, you know. <laughs> anyway. All right. Oh, look at Joe yeah. McPeak. Jo- the pride the fellow LaSalle the, alumnus, Joe Joe McPeak. is the fine producer for Merrill and Mike on the Eagles broadcasts, which makes him very inside some of these stories. How are you, Joe? Good, good. Good to talk to uh, both of you, Glenn and yeah. Mike. Uh, by the way. I've been doing the game since 86, 38 years, and yeah. I only missed two games. 80, 89, I got married, missed a preseason game, and 91, I had my appendix out. Oh, wow. I, Speaking of. Back. Yeah. It was actually the Houston game. The body the bag House game? No, the uh, the House of Pain game. Yeah, the House of Pain game. Yeah, so I had my appendix out. And uh, the, the only two games that I missed in 38 years. But anyway... Here's a here's a, uh, here's a here's a throwback story, Glenn. You, you, you probably remember this. Sam Walters was our color analyst. He retired <laughs> in eighty. He retired in eighty four, and he did the games for about nine years. So the Eagles were playing the Cowboys at the vet, and it, was, it had to be maybe the early nineties. And a lot of calls were going against the Eagles early in the game, and Stan Walters, you know, he was very animated. He said that Tech Schramm, who was the president and general manager of the Dallas Cowboys at the time, he said that Tech Schramm has the officials in his pocket. Yep. Now, if you remember, Glenn, to the right of mm-hmm. our broadcast booth is where, is where the visiting 
media say, okay? And and they some of those media members must have been listening to Merle and Stan and said something to Tex Schramm. So I looked over, and there's Tex Schramm looking directly at me. He pulled his pockets inside out, yep. and he was pointing at Stan Walters. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. The ironic part is we had scheduled Tex Schramm as a halftime guest. <laughs> so, you know, during a break, I told Stan what was going on. And Stan did, didn't even look in the direction of uh, Tex Schramm. Yeah, Stan, we, Stan told me he thought he was going to get fired, that he thought he was going to be in big trouble. Well, we, we, weren't know if he, we didn't know if he was going to be our, uh, you know, you know, be the guest. So our broadcast booth, there was only one, one flight of steps, and only one person could get on there. So at halftime, Tex did show up, and he, he was standing at the top of the stairs, and Stan were at, was going up the steps. They passed like two ships in the night. Didn't make eye contact, and Tex did come on and did the uh, halftime show. But what happened was the Dallas Cowboys took Stan Walters off the mailing list. Oh, <laughs> well, he was that, shunned. I think Stan could live with that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Because I talked to Stan about it uh, not that many years ago for a, a book I was doing, and Stan said that when he did it and found out that Shram was there. Stan thought he was going to be in big trouble, but she wasn't. Shram, Shram took it with a sense of humor, but nonetheless, yeah. I think Stan had a point, Joe. I don't know about you. Well, I, I think the Eagles actually came back and won that game. Um, well, there you go. So, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. I'm ready to get on the uh, charter flight. I was going to say, yeah. have, an, have an easy flight, have a great game, and it's, it is nice to hear from you, man. Yeah, you guys do a great job. Enjoy listening to you. Thank right. you. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Joe. Be well. Uh, he, Joe McPeak. He's only saying that because he's a LaSalle alum like me. He has well, to there say you that. Go. You do get those. Any, anytime they come up, I appreciate that you point those out. Yep. Uh, Carl and John, do me a favor. Hang in there. We'll get you in the next segment. We're going to do our interview first with Matt Mosley. Who is he down there? He's a columnist and talk show host in Dallas. Been covering the Cowboys forever. Really right. good dude. Really insightful guy. Looking forward to it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. Ninety four WIP. Go ahead, go ahead, Glenn. You take it. <laughs> well, we got a guest coming up. We're endeavoring to find him. So uh, when we do, we do. So Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now ninety four WIP. Eagles Cowboys tomorrow. Um, while we are aiming to get him, let me just ask you about something that's been on my mind that I didn't have a place to. Sure. Uh, f- Actually, let's get Carl. Carl's uh, yeah, hanging. We said we'd get him. Okay. So let's get him. Carl, you're with us. Gentlemen, happy holidays. Thank Glenn, you, sir. Happy Thank, Thank you, sir. Okay. The game last week was really embarrassing, but after watching some of Baldy's breakdowns and some of the breakdowns from my inside the bird pals that I follow. This looked a lot more like the, the 49ers loss exposed things that a lot of times get overlooked in a win. Such okay. as? The, block, the blocking. Paulie, on Bobby's breakdowns, he, he did a thing on the eight first down runs. And the Eagles, the O-line wasn't finishing blocks. They were just kind of nudging people, and the guys would go right around them. So I think tomorrow we're going to see this team come out on its toes and come out attacking and not – more or less going through the motions. So, All well, right. that's the big that's, question. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is, was last week a, they're tired, or as you say, they just kind of, you know, that it's like 
take things for granted and not plan that well, or did last week show larger issues? I don't think it showed larger. In fact, Malata mentioned it. He said things that we may not have concentrated on so much because we were winning these games kind of got exposed, and it made them kind of go back to, you know, look at themselves and do a lot more deep dive. And also, one other thing, a big shout-out to Lane, Jan- Lane Johnson for the Walter Payton nominee. If you haven't seen it on YouTube, how they surprised him with that in the online room, got to watch it. It's an absolute trip. Yeah, it is. It was, uh, and thanks for the call, Carl. Um, yeah, it was. They The Eagles put cameras in the offensive line meeting room when it was announced that Lane was going to be the team's nominee for the Walter Payton Award. And Jeff Stoutland stopped his lecture and his, his teaching session. And Jason Kelsey got up and spoke and was very emotional in speaking about Lane. And everybody knows the mental health issues that Lane Johnson has gone through. And Kelsey spoke very eloquently about the way Lane has helped uh, guys behind the scenes that there are a lot of players who get nominated for this award just by donating a bunch of money to various charities. But Lane's kind of put in the work. And so it was it was a cool thing to see. I love the way the whole thing came down because the way you see it because Stoutland is so um, like football coachy. Yes, you know f bombs all over the place. F bombs all over the place, and they edited the f bombs out of this thing because you know they wanted to, to get more play. But you can tell every time it is, it's like blip, blip, blip. and then Kelsey comes and he's Kelsey, right? Because yep. he he's gets that voice where he's like choked up and almost crying and and so on, and it's just and it's great. It's it was actually you, you know what, Glenn, this just occurred to me. Uh, Ryan O'Neal, the actor, yeah, died this week. Yeah. Star of Love Story. Yeah. I'll bet if Jason Kelsey watched Love Story, he would cry. <laughs> I bet. I mean, I, I think who, so. Who I wouldn't. Would, I would like to watch an emotional movie with Jason Kelsey and see what his reaction is. If he'd be able to hold his emotions in. Well, I don't know that he'd be able I'll to. I'll give you the movie. Because when Ray and I did the book, the the ultimate book of sports movies, one movie that we like put at the beginning, like, ah, where are we going to put this? And we'll stick it in the middle. And we talked to NFL players. We took like 190 players, coaches, broadcasters, etc. And many, I don't, I don't remember the total number, told us that they cried at Brian's song. Yeah. Including Brian Baldinger is yes. one I remember we talked to about that. I love right? Brian Larry Piccolo. Zonka. Larry Zonka is a guy who played before your time, but his name indicates his style of play. Oh, yeah. Larry Zonka was a tough guy, and I think Ray talked to him, and Larry Zonka talked about crying when he watched Brian's song. Yep. So watching Brian's song with Jason Kelsey, that should be an auction item. (laughs) I thought initially you were going to say any given Sunday because I've heard NFL players say that that is uh, the best depiction of what they actually – what the experience of playing in the NFL and being an NFL player is actually like. And it's funny you say that because that's another movie we moved up based on what players told us. Mm. In a different way, they didn't cry at that one, but they identified with it. That's yep. right. So Ray didn't like that movie. No, I liked it. Nah, he didn't like that it. That speech that Pacino gives about the six inches in front of your face. Oh, it's is great. great. We yeah. fight for you. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great. <laughs> Andy in New York is with us this more this afternoon. Hi, Andy. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How you doing? Hi, Andy. All right. All right, well, I've got. First, I want to start with my obscure Eagle player from the rivalry with the Cowboys. Go ahead. I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say Jesse Small before, who I love, and I was watching that game, but I got one better. Kurt Govea, middle linebacker on the fourth and one play. I'm, I'm the third and one and the fourth and one. Oh, yeah. He put a shoulder into Emmett. Did. That's right. And, I was at was that game. Maybe one, one year. 
I was at that game. That for you, the fourth and one game for people who don't remember. Uh, the Eagles are playing the Cowboys at the Vet, and um, it's third. It's excuse it's, me. It's, it's fourth, it's and, fourth one. and one, and the Cowboys decide to go for it on their own side of the field, way on their own side of the field, yeah, like, like their the own twenty nine or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and Barry Switzer calls it Emmett Smith dive, and the Eagles stop it. But then the referees are waving their arms, and it turns out right before the ball was snapped was, I guess it was a two-minute warning. Uh, and so, therefore, the Cowboys got to run it again, and the place went nuts. And the Cowboys run exactly the same play, and the Eagles stop him. And it's one of the great Merrill Reese calls of all time. Mm-hmm. They stop him again. They stop him. It's Groundhog Day. It's when the movie was out. It's yep. Groundhog Day. Merrill was brilliant. And the, it, I was there that game not as a media member but as a fan. And it was like the loudest I ever heard the place. And that, great. boys and girls, was how the Tush Push was born. <laughs> <laughs> tush Push would have made it. That's yeah, right. would have made it. That's a good it. one. What else are you thinking about, Andy? So I was at the Niners game on Sunday. And, you know, first quarter, it looked like we were the kind of team that you can sort of see us, you know, putting it in cruise control and dominating. And one of the big reasons was that the play calling on those opening two drives was perfectly designed AJ slants over the middle. It was putting everybody in a position to succeed and keep the 49ers on their, on their heels. And then after the second drive, everyone's talking about all the different things that went wrong. But I think the single biggest thing that went wrong is the play calling the rest of the game was never the same. They didn't have anything creative. They didn't have any solutions. They weren't putting people on the, you know, bubble screens, passes in the flat, anything to spread the middle of the Niners defense out and make those safeties come up. And so you get Jalen sitting back all day and, and looking, and there's nobody open. And I just think, I don't know what went wrong after that second drive, but they had a formula, and they just went away from it. I'm curious what, curious what you guys think um, Brian Johnson's going to do tomorrow and, and whether or not mm-hmm. um, you know the Eagles can, can adjust. You go first, Mike. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mention that, Andy, because if there's been one kind of feather in Brian Johnson's cap this season. It has been his ability to adjust, right? The Eagles have been better in the second half offensively of most of their games than they have been in the first half. Not universally, but certainly against Buffalo, uh, some of the games they've played lately. You know, Dallas presents an interesting kind of conundrum defensively because they have two cornerbacks who are big play cornerbacks, but you can throw on them. You can get behind them. And so, I think we're going to see what we usually see from the Eagles. They're going to throw the ball vertically and attack throwing the ball to start the game and roll the dice that Jalen Hurts makes better decisions and that Brian Johnson dials some things up. Glenn, I don't know how you see it. Uh, Well, I certainly hope so. And I think over the course of the year, the offense has been somewhat creative. One of the things that was interesting – is I read this week that the Eagles go into motion less than any team in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying they should completely scrap everything they've done and start doing plays where guys go into motion, which, by the way, San Francisco does a lot. Yes. Dallas does a lot. Miami does it more than anybody. Miami does it more than anybody, and they're scoring a lot this year. But the Eagles handled them pretty well. Um, But I do think that now that we're into, you know, week 13, week 14, game 13, uh, you gotta keep you gotta keep evolving, mm-hmm. and it would be nice to see them evolve a little. Yeah, bit. and the thing we haven't mentioned too, Glenn, is that it's looking like Dallas Goddard is going to be back in the lineup yeah. and playing, and Big that help. is a huge benefit to the yeah. Eagles. Absolutely it a huge helps benefit. Helps in two ways. Yep, blocking First and of all, passing. 
Yeah, first of all, you, you can't just cover A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It's the third guy you really got to cover. One thing I'm disappointed is how little the Eagles have thrown to the backs this year, particularly Swift, who I thought was a good pass catcher out of the backfield, and they almost never use him for that. Mm-hmm. But they just don't. Um, the other way Dallas Goddard helps you is he can run block, Mike. Yes, he can. Bring back the I run, know. baby. Here we I go. know. They can, hey, look, they can run the ball. I just don't think you need to turn this into what the team was back in 2021, where Jalen was still developing – wasn't the quarterback that he was last season or even this season. Uh, They need to run better. They absolutely do need to run better. And you make a great point, Glenn, about DeAndre Swift. Part of the reason that they went out and got him was the thinking that, okay, this will allow them to throw the ball to the backs more often, and they really haven't done it very much. Yep. Don't understand why. Would like to see it more. But when Ray Didinger and I were standing outside the Novacare Center this week, Holding up that sign at 7 a.m. <laughs> we... see, see, I thought it was going to be Eggy from Fishtown yes. and Seth Joyner. That's I who I thought right would that. be there. Yeah, yeah, Seth's definitely in there. Seth Joyner got disrespected this week. That is not allowed. Uh, well, I, I know Seth would not allow that. No. 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 My he money's didn't... on Seth in that battle. Uh, my money is on Seth in just about any battle. Absolutely. Let's talk to Aiden in Deptford. You're on 94 WIP. Hey there. Hey, how you doing, fellas? All right. Hi, Aiden. Hey, hey by the way, uh, David Akers, that was a great interview. Um, Thank you. Love Jake Elliott, Thanks. but David Akers is just gold. He was great. He was great. Hey, um, I had a question. I've been hearing a lot of noise about Jalen Hurts allegedly not being able to see the field, read defenses. You know, to me, it's almost like a shot of his intelligence and cerebral abilities. To that end, i got to ask you a question, um, Mike Sielski. Yes. That's been posted an article um, essentially depicting, you know, Brock Purdy as the golden boy mm-hmm. and Jalen Hurts as the uh, the uh, good athlete but can't read defenses. I mean, I'll just throw it out there. Sounds like a whole bunch of um, yeah, it's it. Look, look, racial bias. But they quoted you because, and I want to get your opinion on this. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to really defend yourself because I don't know what I think about this whole article. Okay, that's a whole other story. They're quoting you from the Inquirer saying, quote, Hertz is admired and beloved here, but Brock Purdy would be a god in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Hertz might just be the NFL's most valuable player, and his counterpart might just be the NFL's best story. Mm-hmm. That spin took that and made it seem like, and again, you can defend yourself here if, you, if you'd like to, but... Gee, thanks. It's my radio show. I think I will. (laughs) Well, no, because, you know, I don't really watch, read Deadspin articles like that, but it just caught my attention when I was browsing one day. And then it's essentially saying that, you know, uh, Brock Purdy uh, is uh, more loved because he's white and Jalen Hurts because he's black. He's perceived as somebody who's a good athlete. All right. All right. All right. We get it. Aiden, let him get to it. Yeah, well, first of all, Aiden, let's get your obscure eagle. And, and oh, we'll, um, we'll... he never really played against the Cowboys like that, but um, he's actually forgotten, and I don't know how he still has his job because he's actually the wide receiver coach in Kansas City. His name's Greg Lewis. And yeah, but I remember a great moment against the Cowboys. What was his great oh, yeah, moment against? Threw that out there. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it had to be somebody with a great moment against the Cowboys. Look, we addressed this earlier in the show. I'm not going to rehash the, the thinking behind that column. I understand why certain Eagles fans might have thought I was taking a shot at Jalen Hurts, which I was not doing. Uh, but the reality is that, again, as I said earlier. If Brock Purdy were the quarterback of the Eagles and had gone through exactly the same situation 
in San Francisco that he has gone through with the 49ers. Last player picked in the draft, third stringer becomes the starter, helps the team become a Super Bowl contender. He would be a god here, and yes, the fact that he would be perceived as a white underdog quarterback would be part of that. It just absolutely would be. Doesn't mean I think that's the greatest thing in the history of ideas. It just means that's the reality of the marketplace uh, and the reality of the priority we place on underdogs in Philadelphia or have placed on underdogs in Philadelphia for a long time. So So I want to stand up for you for a moment because I watched this thing happen in real time. And you wrote a column, uh, and the column was really about Brock Purdy and was not really about Jalen Hurts. And as you said, Jalen Hurts is the most valuable player in the league. And Philadelphia is a town that loves that kind of story, separate and independent of anything about Jalen Hurts. Philadelphia would love this guy. doesn't mean that they would lo- they would rather see him play than Jalen Hurts. doesn't mean that he's better. doesn't mean that he's smarter. doesn't mean anything. But that line from the story was the one that the paper – not you, decided mm-hmm. to put out when it used it in social media, when it advanced the column in social media for people to read the column. Most of the people who saw that quote, and only that quote, did not read the column, uh, either because they didn't bother to or because the column's behind a paywall, they don't want to pay for the paywall. So they only saw that, and then becomes the part where it's misconstrued. Mm-hmm. First comes the part where, like, oh, you like him better than Hertz which isn't what you were saying. Right. You think he's better than Hertz, which isn't what you were saying. And then, as happens on social media, everything becomes political, in this case racial, which is in no way what you were saying. And a lot of people piled on, and um, some people who I actually respect took a shot at you on social media, and then it became a thing. I didn't even know that Deadspin had written about it, but that doesn't surprise me that they would take, again, one line from a column, misconstrue it, and all of a sudden you're a bad guy. I get it. Social me- and, and the bottom line is this. The bottom line is you wrote, I thought, a good column, a solid column, looking at the other team, which, by the way, not enough people write about these days. Uh, you went to the effort to write about the other team. We used to do that all the time. Yeah. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. No, and it was a storyline heading into the game <clears throat> that made sense. Yeah, And sure. look, like I've said a couple of times, like the fact that Nick Foles is regarded as a god here is in large part to the fact that he won the Eagles their only Super Bowl, but it's also because he was an underdog. He was the backup quarterback. Would Carson Wentz have been a god here if he won a Super Bowl? Yes. Is Jalen Hurts already close to a god here? Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it just it, it takes on a life of its own, as you said, Glenn, right. once it gets thrown into the machinery of Twitter and social media. Yeah, and there's and there's there's no way there's no way for you to explain it to everybody who decided to take it the way they wanted to right. take it. So, yeah, that is correct. Yeah. It's it's the ultimate uh when did you stop beating your wife kind of question. Yeah, so there you go. All right. 215-592-9494. We've opened up the lines if you want to get in now is a good time to do it. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Well, that is Howie Roseman among a chorus, which you definitely can make out Jason Kelty's voice. And you hear Howie a little bit in there, right? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. The Eagles general manager, who is uh, Jewish like myself, uh, has added to the holiday album a little little song. That album is 
pretty amazing. You and I have played several songs on mm -hmm. it, and, and Mylotta can sing, Jordan Davis can sing. These guys are talented. I will say, and tell me if you agree, people will really love it as long as they continue to win. Oh, yeah. If if the Eagles lose to the Cowboys tomorrow uh, or lose another game the rest of the season or get bounced in the playoffs before the Super Bowl, you absolutely are going to hear people say, they should have spent more time studying game film and less time in the recording studio. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and there was one thing I had wanted to say earlier that I didn't get to, which is a guy was was saying, you know, how is is Howie Roseman no longer good at his job? And I'm, I'm clearly they're you know he's ten they're, they're tenant too. You yeah. can't say that. Yeah. But the one mistake he made, the biggest mistake they made this offseason, I think, was letting T.J. Edwards go. And and linebackers aren't a priority here. I know that. I don't remember what he signed for, but it wasn't a ton. He's I, yeah. He signed with the Bears. I think it was nineteen twenty million dollars of a contract. Many, three years. Yeah, I think something along yeah, those lines. Not bad. And last I looked, two weeks ago, he's leading the league in tackles. Yeah, but here's the thing, Glenn. Yet you can look at it this. And, yes, could, could could you make an argument that they should have kept T.J. Edwards? Yes, but here's the thing: the Chicago Bears are exactly the kind of franchise that is bad because they prioritize linebackers. Like, they think about the sport in the wrong way. You think they're looking for butkus? Yeah. They're, like, Singletary? Look, look, the 49ers are getting held up as an example of valuing linebackers because they have Fred Warner. Fred Warner was a third-round pick. Credit mm -hmm. the 49ers for finding him in the third round, but it's not as if they traded up to get him in the top ten. They, they picked him in the third round. The Eagles have taken linebackers in the second and third rounds before. Uh, do they need to do a better job of scouting them? Yes, I absolutely think they do. Uh, but they're not the only team that looks at a defense and says, you know, when push comes to shove, we'd rather have one or two or three terrific pass rushers and we'd rather have some elite cornerbacks rather than uh, a heat-seeking middle linebacker. Well, Zach Cunningham, well, Zach Cunningham better come back and play really well. Uh, which he is coming back tomorrow. Hopefully, Shaq Leonard will be an improvement because that's killed him all year. Yes, it has. it has. Uh, and it has. And it's certainly killed him all year. It's certainly possible that the league will shift. I, I'm skeptical about this, but it's certainly possible the the league will shift from a strategic standpoint. Teams run the ball or they throw the ball differently, such that linebackers become more valuable and more important. But I don't think we're there yet, and. Is it a whole in the Eagles defense? It absolutely is. It doesn't mean that they should prioritize finding the best linebacker yeah, in the draft. I did not say prioritize. I said they should have kept T.J. Edwards. Okay, fair. That's, that's and not that's prioritize. And that's fair. You know, I don't want first round picks on linebackers. Well, listen, they spent a third round pick on a linebacker who's been nothing but hurt since they got him. Yep. That, that's also hurt him. Yeah. All right, one other thing I want to – we'll get back to the phones in just a second. I see we've got a couple of you lined up, 215-592-9494, because there was one other thing that was said this week in criticism of the Eagles and the offense, and specifically Jalen Hurts. And I used to do a feature with Ray called Dumb Things People Said This Week. Mm -hmm. And this, my friend, would take the Emmy for <laughs> Dumb Things People Said This Week. This is David Carr, former NFL quarterback of a sort, uh, now on the NFL Network, and his feelings about Jalen Hurts. The only way that they get there, to M. Rob's point, is Jalen is 100%, and he is that dynamic weapon in the run game because that creates your offense on the outside and your one-on-ones. Clearly, Jalen isn't comfortable 
reading through a defense in a drop-back pass scenario. Some would say he's not even good at it. And I think that when you look at this team, you have to have a serious conversation if you're Philly. And you have to really say, is it better for us to play Marcus Mariota right now and let Jalen get fully healthy? Because I would argue that it does not matter if you're the number one seed. Because if the 49ers come into Philly again, they do not care. They do not care. Raining. And then, we're not done. Yeah. Here's part two. That's all Jalen talks about is the end result and getting to the Super Bowl and winning that thing. The best way we can do it, they didn't run the football at all with him. Twice? That's not it, man. That's not the winning edge. Put Marcus in there. Win a couple games. Maybe you have the number one seed still. You might have it. I'd say he's probably better playing quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles oh! right now. Right now, he would be more productive. Hey, I didn't say right that, now. Philly. Later, I didn't say that, when Philly. You're healthy, we'll see I know what time it is. Jaylen. I didn't say that. He said that. It's all the way to the Super Bowl. We'll all, the way. all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Do you want to go first? Yeah, or you, you go want first. Me? No, well, go two ahead. two it's, things. It's... Two two things out of that. Number one, um, and Carr talked about the reading the defense thing, and I'm already getting some pushback on social media about this, but. This is life in the NFL. When you, talk, when you talk about, and I'm not the first person to say this, when you talk about a black quarterback and suggest that he cannot read defenses, there is plenty of history that makes it reasonable, reasonable for people to think there is a subtle implication there, which means you better show your work. Shiel Kapadia, yep. our friend, said this, and he's 100% right. You better point out exactly where... Jalen Hurts is not reading the defense because that was such an insidious stereotype for so long about why black players couldn't become quarterbacks that you better demonstrate that Jalen Hurts can't do it because otherwise it comes off like you're playing into that stereotype. That's number one. Number two, the idea that the Eagles would be better with Marcus Mariota than any iteration of Jalen Hurts is absurd on its face. Marcus Mariota is not better for this team than any form of Jalen Hurts. And anyone who watched Marcus Mariota play games for the Atlanta Falcons last season would know that. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard said by a broadcaster on a major network, and I don't know if he believes it or he's just falling into the I gotta have a hot take trap, which happens all too often. But what you said certainly underscores it all, which is, and I guess what Shio Kapadia said, which is, there is that old stereotype that kept black athletes from becoming NFL quarterbacks for way too long, and it was that, that they can't read defenses. And you're walking into that, uh, and you're not showing any evidence. It's terrible. By the way, he wasn't done. He went on – Jack Del Rio's now got a podcast it's called mm-hmm. The Dust Up. Make sure you put that on your – Oh, yeah. Uh, and said, I watched both games Jalen had against the Commanders, and it's clear he was unable to read your defense – but benefited from a historic run game and some timely calls by the refs. So David Carr is now an enemy of the people. So, uh, Yeah, David Carr should take a look at that second game that Jalen Hurts played against the Commanders this season where he didn't run much at all. The bone bruise on his left knee was at its worst, and he tore that defense apart from the pocket. So take what David Carr says with about 18 tons of salt. Yeah, there you go. With the salt, the entire salt mine. Uh, Yaz in Newtown has joined us. Hello, Yaz. Hey, how are you guys? Happy Hi, Yaz. Saturday. Yeah, I just want to say before I get to my point, David Carr is an idiot. Not sure how he has a job, and he's clearly not watched one Eagles game this year, making that absurd comment. I got but, a question uh, for you. By the way, everything yeah. you just said is spot on. What, <laughs> is, what, what is Yaz short for? Uh, Yazan. 
so it's a Middle Eastern name. So I, I just, nice. uh, when I was younger, it was so much, so much easier just to go by Yaz. Just, and then I honestly just grew to like it more, too. So I just go by Yaz. Yaz is a great nickname. It, it's a, it was a great 80s band, too, Glenn. You got to, yeah. you know, and I'm sure you, you may have, I don't know how old you are, Yaz, but they had some hits in the early 80s. Great right field. Yeah. I'm only 22, so I, I'm not aware of them, unfortunately. Okay. You're, you're a baby. I, you're a baby. Look them up. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm going to look them up. Don't worry. I promise you. But I appreciate you uh, complimenting me on my name. But sure. um, I, I wanted to talk about this Eagles defense, and I know that you guys have been hearing about it probably all week. But I just think that the most important position on a defense, in my opinion, is the linebacker group. And going into this season, I wasn't – too worried because I know we lost T.J. Edwards and I know we lost Kaiser White, but I was a little optimistic and hopeful that Nicobe Dean would be that player that we thought he would be, especially that player that he was in Georgia. So I, I was one of the people that had high hopes for him and was telling a lot of people like, oh no, he's gonna. This is a breakout year for him. He's gonna be good, and then the rest of the linebacker core is just gonna follow along in that. And I was wrong. Uh, I think that. We got torn apart by San Francisco, and I think that that's just one game. I think our linebacker core has been getting torn apart every single game. Yeah. So, my, and I just want to ask this to you guys. Like, I'm excited for Shaq Leonard to play on Sunday, and I'm hopeful that he's going to provide a lot better play than what we've been seeing from our linebacker core. Well, so let, me, wanna... uh, let me give an over-under. I will say, Mike, over-under for Shaq Leonard, 12 and a half plays. Now. I think that's a, that's a perfectly good over-under. I would say 13 or 14. He'll probably be out there a little bit more uh, than that. Uh, as far yes, as far as your point about the linebackers, I, I don't know that it's the most important p- defensive position in the NFL anymore just because of the way the league has changed uh, and becoming so much more pass-oriented. Are there situations where a linebacker is useful? Absolutely. Hassan Reddick technically is a linebacker, even though he's predominantly a pass rusher and is used a lot as a defensive end. Uh, But the traditional linebacker that we think of, the Mike Singletary, uh, that kind of player, uh, isn't necessarily as valuable or as valued in the league anymore. Yes, what is the – who is the uh, Eagles player – or, I'm sorry, Eagles – obscure – Mike, you – you, the obscure like Eagles figure who ties into a memorable moment with the Cowboys rivalry. Thank you. All right. So I don't know if this has been answered yet, but I'm going to say Mark Sanchez against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day almost <laughs> 10 years ago when we went into Dallas and we won. And I think Shady had like two touchdowns that mm-hmm. game. And I think that Nick Foles was hurt, and then Mark Sanchez had to answer the call, and we beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. I don't, that, that's I, a good one, yes. Thanks. thanks so much for the call, man. Yeah, good Thank call. Call guys. again, yes. I appreciate talking Very nice to, guys. to hear yeah. from you. I, you. I, To me, well, Mark Sanchez is kind of obscure as an eagle, but he's just not an obscure enough name. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I remember that game. I covered that game. It was something to see. The Eagles won that day and went to 9-3, and three, and everybody thought, wow, they're a Super Bowl favorite now. They're going to win the division. And then they lost the next three games in a row, including to the Cowboys at home with Sanchez as their quarterback. And yeah. they didn't even make the playoffs that season. By the way, Mark Sanchez is actually a pretty good broadcaster. He's not bad. He's not yeah. bad. He was always uh, a really sharp guy, good guy to talk to, uh, even in New York. I covered him uh, for a couple of years up there. Uh, he was in a tough spot with the Jets. They just they kept him in bubble wrap both with the media and on the field. and. 
Uh, he had a shoulder injury earlier in his career, too, that I think held him back a little bit. Not that he would have been a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but he, he would have had a better career. games, though, for them, right? Yeah, I mean, really, Rex when they were— Ryan and Mark Sanchez, like, they got to the AFC title game. They did. That first year when he was a rookie, they really did everything to make sure he didn't affect the outcome of a game. <laughs> they ran the ball, like, two out of every three plays. Yeah, uh, yeah. The following year, 2010, they got to the championship game, and he played really well in New England against the Patriots. The shame is, and again, he, he wasn't very good here. Uh, they traded him. They got something for him, which was they nice. did. But the shame is the guy. The guy is remembered for one thing. The bus He's remembered for his worst moment. Yeah, I was there that night. I covered that game, and uh, it was something else uh, where he ran into the back side of Brandon Moore, one of the Jets guards, and fumbled the ball. And the Patriots player took it up for a touchdown. And in that moment, Brandon Moore, you know, stepped up to be third on the Jets and forced fumbles that season. It was uh, <laughs> it was so, quite a moment. So. So, it, you know, it's it's kind of like, and, I, and again, this guy's one of my favorite broadcasters, Dan Orlovsky, yes. right? Yep. You, you remember the play he's remembered for? Stepping on the back line of the end zone. Yeah, running, creating his own safety by going back to throw a pass and just going back, back, back. I, I feel for those guys. I do, uh, too. Nobody should be remembered for their worst moment. Those guys, this is going to be my Ross Tucker impersonation. Mm-hmm. Those guys got to the NFL. They are elite athletes. They are great I mean, Mark Sanchez was a first-round pick and, you know, great college player and all that. And you're just remembered because you do something dumb that's caught on video and it carries forever. Yeah. No, you're 100% right, Glenn. And I think that's a point that ought to be made more frequently. People don't appreciate how incredibly talented even the worst guy on an NFL or NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball roster is. I use this example all the time. I can remember watching... Larry Boa, at age 67, have a catch during batting practice before a Phillies game, the ball exploded out of his hand. He was throwing it at 67 harder than anyone I've ever seen. And he was 67 years old, and he was a guy who had to scrap and claw and do everything he possibly could to be the player that he was, as great as he was, for the Phillies as long as he was. And to watch that, it was like, oh, my God. They're a different breed. They're... I, so my story like that is when before I came to Philadelphia, I worked in Detroit, and I finagled the paper one year to send me as a like a George Plimptony kind of thing to Tigers the first Tigers fantasy camp. Mm-hmm. So it was Tigers fantasy camp with the '84 Tigers who were like you know oh they won the I'm World sorry, Series not, no 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 oh that's that's wrong sorry I was there in '84 is with the '68 Tigers oh okay gotcha who were a World Series winner. With Al Kaline and Mickey Lowell yep. and Danny, Danny McLean. Yeah. Well, Danny McLean was not there. They, he was in they, jail probably at the time. They did not invite him. Yeah, they didn't like him. But <laughs> Bill Freehan and Norm Cash, I mean, great players. Willie Horton. Willie Horton is on that team. And so we got there, and I remember the first day, It's like it, it was so much fun. You just, everybody's getting around and throwing the ball and hitting the ball and doing any batting practice. And there was a third baseman on that team, not a very memorable guy, but his name was Don Wirt. Mm-hmm. If you've ever heard of a guy named Don. I think I have, yeah. Journeyman player, third baseman, and he shows up. And, I mean, Don Ward, you know, was the guy who would hit like 12 to 15 home runs a year. Nothing special. And it's like, hey, let's take batting practice. Don, come on. And he, he, like, steps out of his car, and he's still wearing, like, you know, lace-tie shoes, right? (laughs) Does no warm-ups. And Don Wirt had not really taken that good care of himself. He looked like he swallowed a watermelon, right? <laughs> so they give him a bat, and he just gets in the batter's box, and he swings. And he's, the time, 50 maybe, right? Mm-hmm. 
and the ball just flies off the bat yep. in a way that the best ball I ever hit in my life never went. And he's just like, you know, joking and swinging. And, and, and it was amazing to watch those guys who then, they were old guys, between 50 and 60 years old, and just how great they were. Yeah. So yeah. You don't yeah. have an appreciation for it until you really get up close to them to see what they can do. All right, I think we got to give away these tickets here. Okay. Uh, you know what? Let's we'll take the break. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll give away the tickets. I, I have find somebody it. in mind. I think. Okay. Find out what we forgot to talk about. Uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. We're going to be going to James and Elliot in Dallas in just a moment. But Mike, I am uh, delighted to be able to give away a pair of tickets uh, each week to the play that I am in, which opens next Friday night. I got to tell you, I'm right now a little nervous as hell about it. But You're going to do fine. I'm going to be fine. I know, but it's you get you get the butterflies, which is which I get is not it. a bad thing. But the, I say this to to people all the time who get nervous when they're going to take a test or have something coming up at work or they feel stressed and overwhelmed. The fact that you're nervous proves that you will get through it fine because you will work hard to make sure the nervousness goes away and everything will be great. Well, I appreciate that. And again, I'm, I'm confident it'll be fine, but it's, it's like, oh my God, we're six days away and I got to do this and I got to do that. Got to make sure this, this prop works and this joke works. But anyway, uh, somebody is about to win tickets to see me and a talented cast of actors and singers and dancers in Mel Brooks' hysterical musical Young Frankenstein playing at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore opens next Friday, runs through December 30th. You have your choice of available tickets for any of 10 performances. For ticket information, go to pcstheater.org. Now, I, I would like um, our producer, Dan Wilson, to nominate three because Dan was gauging their interest in coming to the play, so I'd rather it be somebody who wants to go. So, Dan, give us a few who uh, you think are would be good, and then I'll let Mike make the pick. Yeah, so we had a few good answers. Uh, Brandon Boykin I thought was a really strong answer. We played the Ricky Ricardo call of that. Uh, Joe, I'm going to butcher his name, Scarpati, was it? Joe Scarpati. Scarpati, yeah. uh, I thought was a good answer. Uh, my favorite answer, and I think Mike's favorite answer, if I'm reading correctly, uh, and we did not talk about this during the break, uh, was equipment guy Rick during the pickle juice game? Rick Burkholder wasn't the equipment guy. He was trainer. the trainer. Sorry, sorry, trainer, not yeah. equipment guy. Rick trainer, Burkholder, Rick. Yeah. He was my top pick. I, he's the one. He's the All one. Right. Just because the tiebreaker is he wasn't a player and he wasn't a coach, and the fact that he helped the Eagles, and maybe it's mythology, but the fact that he helped the Eagles win that big game against the Cowboys to me puts him over the top. Uh, that's fine with me. So, who is the winner there, uh, Dan? Our winner is Tim. Tim from Glenside. Yeah. All right, nicely done. We will get in contact with Tim, and I hope to see you at the play. All right, Dan, what did we forget to talk about today? Yeah, well, really quick, in your show email today, you labeled the segment The Inner Thoughts of Dan Wilson, which I think is a way better uh, name for the segment uh, <laughs> He's than what we missed. He's the Jack Handy of our, our talk show. Yeah, so the, the Inner Thoughts of Dan Wilson, uh, a.k.a. what we forgot to talk about. I'll start with, we hit on it briefly, but Army-Navy today making the trip up to Foxborough. First time uh, it's being played in Foxborough or the state of Massachusetts in general. Uh, the seventh state Army-Navy has ever been played in, and the twelfth new city. Uh, they seem to be moving up and down the East Coast as a rotation. They're not yeah. back in Philly till 2027. Yeah, wow, I that's like a while. I yeah, like I, I love covering that game, too. It was here for so long. It meant so much here. I'm disappointed that they decided to move it around, and uh, what are you going to do? That's that's the way it is. But still, always a fun game, and you know Ross Tucker is going to be there calling. He's already weeping on social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's openly. Terrific. 
Yeah. I think he's singing Lee Greenwood in the background. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Uh, really quick. So we had on David Akers today, and I mentioned this to both of you guys independently in the break, but I checked in with our uh, resident stats guy uh, and football history guy, Savant, uh, per Mike Sielski's recommendation. So I checked in with Ruben Frank regarding that Eagles-Lions snow game, which the 10-year anniversary of that was yesterday. yesterday. We had on David Akers, who kicked for the Lions in that game, his one year with the Lions. Yeah. That game is an NFL record. 54 points scored. Eagles won 34 to 20. No kick or no points at all came off the foot of a kicker. The next highest in NFL history, at least going back to 1960, which is as far back as Ruben Frank's database goes. According to him, the next highest game for points without a kick, the 6 nothing Eagles Dallas game, the final wow. week of the Super Bowl season. First that's of all, it, that's a great catch by you. To think about, first of all, to remember that Akers was in that game kicking for Detroit. Detroit. And I, 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 mean, I was at that game, and I remember the the snow coming down. He tried the first extra point, couldn't get any footing. It was blocked, I think. And there was only after, one attempted. Yeah, and after yeah. that, it's like, yeah, nobody's going to kick. Other than kickoffs, nobody's going to kick today. And that you went to Rube is brilliant on your part. And the fact that Ruben, I shouldn't be surprised, but that Ruben could – Locate that. So I, I that don't even think Rube need record. to locate it. I think he just, he just downloaded from memory, it yeah. Yeah, from his brain of Eagle stats. I had never heard that before, and I think that's actually, who knew we were at a historic game that way. And last thing, uh, some baseball news this week. Uh, a couple of psych-outs. Number one, first with the Phillies, Jock Peterson posting a photo on Instagram of him and the Fanatic, which apparently meant nothing. He had no yeah. communication <laughs> with the Phillies. Uh, and then yesterday, we were, the baseball world was psyched out. Everyone thought that it was Otani on the private jet flying the Toronto. Turned out to be billionaire from Shark Tank, Robert Herjavec. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> now we have no Otani news. Yes, I know, and that went all around the, the all day over social media. It did. My my contention was that Otani, the hitter, was flying to Toronto, but Otani, the pitcher, was still in Southern no. California. <laughs> there you go. They're splitting up. Yeah, different teams. They're yeah. going to sign different contracts. I'm sure it's, the guy from Shark Tank gets there, and there's like all these baseball writers <laughs> waiting. It's like, wait a minute, you don't look anything like Shohei Otani. What's going on? Anyway, fun show. Thank you, Dan Wilson. Mike, always a pleasure. You uh, too. I will be on tomorrow morning with Jody Mack and then later tomorrow with the pregame show. Stay tuned. It is Go Birds Radio from Texas down in the belly of the beast. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.